Welcome to the powwow with Myra, where each week we bring you an inspiring person and their stories to help us discover different ways to see life and its challenges. My focus sits on being thoughtful, engaging, and entertaining. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for watching. Wow, no, that's crazy. So, um, I, I, I want to know, like, remind me how how you decided to lose weight because like earlier you just mentioned when I was a hundred pounds, you know, heavier. Yeah. So when did you decide or how did it happen where you started that journey? Well, I mean, uh, I was divorced in 2014 and kind of left in a pile. My family had imploded and um, my relationship with my boys was stretched um, they've all got their own lives, their own issues, and they were deeply affected by the, the divorce. And, uh, you know, they had to go different directions. I had to deal with different things and I had multiple things that were not going right. You know, some of them touching the divorce, some of them separate and additional to, and, and it was just, it, it was a time of surrender to the Lord just to kind of figure out you know, there's got to be a common denominator to all the crap that I've dealt with all these years. And, you know, second failed marriage. And yes, both men cheated on me. And it's easy just to say, oh, you know, my life is hard. I'm a victim, blah, blah. But that doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything. And I was diagnosed with the Hashimoto's, but there was more going on. It just wasn't quite diagnosed yet. Um, but there's. But did you feel at the time there was probably more? I've been sick for decades just not able to go far not able to walk long not able to ride a bike well not able to do a lot of things and I have moments where I'm better than others but now the weight is also a drain mm -hmm. um the the metabolism has been wrecked for years the depression I was I was around averaged between 190 and 205 for many years that was an average average and then uh 2014 was incredibly stressful. A lot of things happened. My best friend passed away. Um, you know, both my parents were gone, but, uh, you know, my marriage was at a critical juncture. My sons were going through, uh, particularly one of them going through a lot of personal agony, um, and everything aggravated everything. And, uh, uh, you know, dealing with suicidal family members and, and going through stuff that, no mom should have to go through, no kids should have to go through, and no support in the marriage line. And and uh, church wasn't really there for me. The church didn't know what to do with what I was going through, and they didn't want to take sides, whatever that means. You know, nobody requires that, but everybody feels like they've got to. Um, so I didn't really have church support. My external family was kind of going through a lot of things, so really was feeling kind of alone. Mm. Um, and I lost my house. You know, I had to walk away from my house, had to do a lot of hard things mm. for a couple of years after that. And then just being sick and it impacted my ability to work. You know, my, my son's uh, special needs impacted my ability to work during that time as well as being sick. I mean, it's just, it's just so hard to get a foothold on life, even though I love God and I knew God was in charge, and, but something had to happen. And it's just, I went before the Lord and it's just like, 
I give up. Not on you, mm. not even on me, but I give up on trying to do this the way I've been doing this because mm. it's not working. Mm. And there's just got to be more. And the, when the doctor handed me down my second autoimmune diagnosis, um, and I didn't have insurance, so they didn't want me to come in and do all the tests for it. She says, just know that you have it. But it's, but it's the same issue that you're going to have. Um, you're going to have to take a lot of medications. You're going to be on, you know, medications that I'm going to have to give you other medications for because the side effects are terrible. And, uh, you know, you just have to decide what you want to do with your life. And it's like, well, I need to work. And it's hard to work. It's hard to do a lot of things when you can't be consistent. And then you're dealing with the, the explosions in your son's life. And those things that happen, just too many things, too many things. And so, um, and being heavy was just a problem, but it started getting worse because mm. the stress and the cortisol. And, you know, now I understand all that because I've been trained. But um, when you stop eating because you're either poor or you think you're going to lose weight or whatever, it actually aggravates everything and it complicates your autoimmune system and your metabolism gets worse and worse. And you really don't understand the roller coaster that you're entering in on your with your weight even worse than ever. And I understand all of that now, but and. And you don't even know what's making you sick and what's not because you always feel terrible. You're always in mm. some level of pain. And you you are tired of even hearing yourself complain because everybody thinks you're hypochondriac. They can't see anything that you're going through and they're used to seeing you heavy. So to them, your weight's not an issue. Mm. But your weight is hurting you in many ways and exacerbating internal issues. And so I had a heat stroke during a festival. Was it? Yeah, it was 2014. It was after that. Mm -hmm. um, and I was the president of a theater company. And uh, a lot of what I did there was, it was very strenuous. It was very stressful. You know, saving a company and building it and building other systems and just thinking that that's the way you're going to give back and all that. But it was a lot of effort. And then alone your personal stuff explodes into that. My ex-husband had become involved in my theater world, which I thought would be great, but it was terrible. Um, the fallout from friends who now think they have to make choices mm -hmm. between you. And, you know, it just, I ended up having to step down from everything. The Lord's just like, you know, I just want you to focus on me. So I ended up giving up my house totally, giving up a lot of things, um, moving into... A couple of different situations. The first one was extremely stressful, but um, God carried me through that. And the second one was Godsend. When you have too many things going and nothing is going right, and it's hard to get a job, and I was trying to write and everything, but my health wasn't getting better. My depression, um, which I was denying. You know, because I didn't feel like that was a good thing to, to be as a Christian. Why should a Christian be depressed? Mm. And um, why should a Christian? So you don't want to tell anybody about it because you don't feel like you're in a position to help other people if they see you going through all of this junk. So did you feel like, like, did you know it was depression, but you were afraid to kind of be open about it? Or did you... Were you kind of more so like lying to yourself, telling yourself it wasn't? Or what do you mean? And option three, you don't really understand what depression is. Mm. And it's something that you saw your kid go through. 
mm. who is, you know, bipolar. You, you've seen other people go through it, and because it manifests differently in you, you don't recognize it. Mm. So probably a combination of all three of those. Okay. You know, I don't think it's cut and dried. Okay. I think we can lie to ourselves. We can really be deceived. We can just be suffering so much we don't even know what to call it. Mm. Um, pride also. You mm. feel like, or, or pressure to help others can keep you from wanting to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I like to be the giver, not the receiver. And that sounds like I'm being, you know, humble brag, but it's, it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean in, in just gifts or even needs and groceries and things like that. Just like your time, your effort, your, like, well, the amount of maybe energy, this is going to sound weird. But, you know, you and I talked before about um, how I was dealing with pride. Sometimes being the giver gives you power. Mm. You have the power to help somebody else, and that's still pride. You know, when I realized that I have nothing, I it was a revelation that I realized that I, I bring nothing to the table but my obedience and my, my faith. Um, and even then, the Holy Spirit gives that, you know. I mean, I, I don't pretend to know the answers and I don't feel like it's something I can quantify exactly in what's me and what's not me. I just know that without him, I'm nothing. Mm. And I don't think that's a, it bothers some people to hear me say that, but they don't understand there's nothing shameful about being nothing compared to a holy God. It's just when you place yourself in a position where you think you are a source and a resource in and of yourself, that's no longer a lack of humility. It's sin of pride because you're becoming your own God. We are no source of anything. We are messengers. We are baggage handlers. We are criers in the street, but we are not the source of anything good. We benefit from Mm. the source of good. We are messengers and ambassadors of the source of good. But that's a good thing. Imagine the burden of being the source of good, of being the absolute bottom line resource for other people. I I don't think we're made to carry that burden. We're not made to be God. Culture says, you know, your truth. You know, you be your own queen. You be in charge of yourself. It's like there's a difference between being accountable and taking responsibility so that you're a victor and not a victim. But that's really not to be confused with, we are not the source of anything good. We are not the harbinger of all the good in the world. We can be vessels. Mm -hmm. We can be containers. We can be doers of the word, but we aren't the word. We aren't the source of all good. We are not God. I mean, that's really what it gets down to. Were you, do you, have you had this line of thinking since you can remember or where, how did you, know, you how did uh, I've been a Christian now, you know, it depends on which one I, I think of being a Christian. I do remember praying the sinner's prayer when I was a little kid in a very specific situation. Um, but I was unchurched and I didn't have anybody to help me with it or teach me or show me. And so it was kind of me and Jesus got our own thing going and I didn't really know the word very much. And so I grew as much as you can grow as a little kid who just loves God Mm. and didn't want to talk about it a lot because I didn't want somebody to take it away from me because it was such a source of comfort 
my little talks with God and my my moments of feeling the presence of the Lord. And I didn't, I was afraid that somebody who even called themselves a Christian, I didn't know if what I was was a Christian or what it was. I just knew that I read this little track and it gave me great comfort and I felt different. And then fast forward years and, you know, now I'm like other kids. I mean, I'm, I'm a good kid. I, I get good grades. I don't get in a lot of trouble stuff, but I still, you know, I have a lewd mouth. I get angry. I, you know, make poor choices. I say things that are hurtful and, you know, along with any other good things. I mean, but I'm an imperfect human being and, uh, and, uh, by the time I ended up going to college and the Lord orchestrated for me to go to Judson College at that point, it's university now, which was Christian college, Baptist-based. And uh, and I do believe that the Lord called me there. And I had a, a time where I had to surrender to the Lord all over again as an adult. And I had a lot of people on campus that thought of me as a non-Christian and kind of pursued me. Um to share the gospel with me and I was getting tracks in my mailbox and my, you know, under my door and people want to talk to me and I was somewhat religious, uh, resistant, belligerent. That was religious in my hybrid word there. <laughs> uh, I was somewhat resistant because I was afraid that they would take away the one thing I knew I did have. And I didn't want them to tell me that I was wrong about something. And that wasn't a pride thing. That was a, I don't want to lose what I got. Mm. But then um, the Lord just, you know, showed me that it was all the same thing, just different expressions of different life lived, different ways of speaking about it. And I had a lot to learn. And so I really grew up in the Lord. So I call that my day of salvation because I don't know the first date that I prayed. So I use September 5th as my born again birthday, mm. my rebirth day. And so, and that's all good, but I mean, I don't think it matters you know, one date or whatever. It's nice because it's a nice reminder. Like we celebrate our birthday, we celebrate that, but I don't make a huge deal out of it. Cause in the ultimate, I know that I'm his. And that's September 5th. Yeah. 1981. September 5th. I'll try to remember that. Send you a happy birthday. <laughs> With my kids, I would actually celebrate a second birthday and make them a cake and things oh. like that. And different kinds of gift. Thoughts, but we would we would talk about the time where then they they put their faith in Jesus and and you know just so they kind of keep it on top and you know I, they're not all in the same place spiritually where the others are and um, I try not to put a lot of pressure on that you know they're not maybe they're not all in every sense the way that I pray for them to be but neither am I so. You know, it, that's what I was telling you, that the word sanctification is what they use in the Bible for the ongoing journey. Once you make that, make that moment where you put your faith in Jesus and your spirit's regenerated, and now you have this whole different dimension to understanding the word, understanding God, and being born again, um, there's still, between that moment and the time that you go home with him, there's sanctification where... You're just growing, learning, growing, learning, growing, learning, changing, you know, dare I say evolving, just becoming the person that God wants you to be. And that never stops. That's the journey. And so tell me what that journey looks like. Like, do you go to church or how do you exercise that in the, in the daily? Well, the Bible says, do not um, forsake the gathering together of the brethren as some are in the habit of doing. 
So there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who may very well be Christians, but they're not going to church. And, um, you know, being in a church makes you a Christian like being in a garage makes you a car. But the reason why we're admonished to go to church is to be with the body. And iron sharpens iron, you know, and, and we help each other and we're there. And, you know, we're part of that community where we can get the word, especially if you know that you're in a place where it's really preaching the Bible and not political agenda or you know, personal philosophies or, I don't know, a lifestyle or a way that's not really based on the Bible. If you're really hearing the Bible and you can hear the truth and there's so much freedom because you can connect with people, unity on the things that matter, on the essentials, and freedom on the things that are peripheral. Um, and the church has been there for me in so many ways, you know, ways to give me opportunities to serve and to be there for other people so I don't always think it's about me. I'm reminded that it's really not about me. It's about him. And it's about those people that he would have me serve, you know, in his name. But also to be grateful about what God's done, to be reminded about what God has done, to give me the blessing of serving him and seeing changes in other people's lives in his name. It's a lot easier to do that when you have a body body believers, they also keep you accountable. They keep you honest. They keep you, you know, it says, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know. Um, it's like trying to get better in jujitsu by not going to training, mm. you know, by not surrounding yourself with those people. I mean, you know, um, taking a week off and just looking at videos and working out on the floor is not the same thing mm. as going and rolling. And it's even less the same of, you know, doing tournaments and stuff. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters that you're you're continuing to sharpen, continuing to learn, to grow, to keep those skills. And being a Christian involves growing. It's a lot of personal growth, a lot of skills with the word. Um, you know, we're admonished also to be diligent in the word so that we show ourselves approved, you know, that we can handle the word of God for the purpose of doing, you know, reproof, teaching, you know, accountability, loving on people. I mean... Uh, a lot of times when I, I don't realize how much Bible I know until the Holy Spirit brings it up when I'm having a conversation. And it's like, wow, I couldn't duplicate that conversation again in a hundred wow. years because the Lord just brings it to mind. Um, psalm 119 is a really long psalm. It might be the longest one, but it has a lot of scripture in there. It talks about the importance of learning the word and your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, but also that it's useful for all of these things. So it, it, you know, we're supposed to continually represent him. How can we represent him if we don't know what he says? Mm. How can we even know him if we don't understand him? And here we have this beautiful love letter that is an easy uh, piece of literature that is consistent through all these books. And, you know, people always say, well, this is an inconsistent. It's like, well, that's because you don't understand it and because you're not really going back to what it really says in the original, whatever. I mean, that's Bible study. It's trying mm -hmm. to understand it, not just taking what people say it means or cherry picking little nuggets that, you know. So that's part of your sanctification is growing in that way. And growing in the Bibles is having the word preached to you, but also doing study with friends and, you know, with your family or your spiritual family. So, so yeah, so participating in church um, is so really important. For, for someone that, like, like, has no clue, say the idea is to just learn about the Bible but have, like, no idea of even it's really so hard if you to do go, without guidance 
Yeah. So like, say you go, even say you go to just, you pick a random church down the street. Yeah. And how, how do you know if, if that it's fitting for you or, um, or what to even look for? Well, uh, I mean, the effort to go to church is better than being too scared and not mm-hmm. going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, community is community, but you know, the, reading the word really helps a lot just because the word gets hit in your heart and, and you're, we are a triune person, just like God is a triune God. We are trying, we, we are a spirit. Um, we have a soul, we live in a body. So the spirit is, um, the part of you that is made the image of God. It's the eternal part of you that communes with the Holy spirit and hears stuff and connects, and you know, um, is always on the God channel. And then you have the, the soul which is, the Bible says that the word is sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, sharp enough to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. Well, people use those words interchangeably, but scripturally, there are cases where they kind of mean the same thing. It's that ephemeral um, part of you that could be eternal, but typically um, it's oversimplified. But you could think of the soul as being your mind, will, and emotions, the intangible part of you that makes you function and interact with this world and then your body is the physical part so it's like you're the a ship in the water your body is the ship your mind will and emotions is the crew that directs the ship but the captain is the spirit and so if your spirit's not alive your spirit's not in control or it's tied up and it's locked in the closet the crew doesn't know how to read the star Mm -hmm. charts the way the captain does doesn't know the big vision doesn't know so it can run you ashore it can do all kinds of things Mm. so I like that that's what being born again is basically your spirit comes alive you're regenerated and now you're you're able to understand things in the word that that made no sense to you before it it sounds um a little bit to me like um like meditation because it's kind of like when you're out in the world you're kind of receiving all this information right that it's kind of like that crew and that ship right but then the captain, in order, in order for them to to really lead it where it wants or needs to go, yeah, where it's destined to go, he needs to be present. So that's us being uh, having time for like ourselves and and listen to ourselves. Well, or mm-hmm. if you're Christian, you do enough listening to yourself. <laughs> you know, you're you're listening to your your worldly. You know, I'm sorry, I'm dumb as a rock when yeah. it comes to my own wisdom. I My wisdom's, the wisdom that I have based on Betsy and Betsy's experience, I'm an idiot. I do a lot of dumb stuff, mm. you know, when I'm not thinking about what the Lord's will is. And the worst things I've ever done in my life, I could list them out. I don't want to right now, but I could list them out every single time it was Betsy listening to herself. Mm. Betsy was on the throne. Sin is basically us being God. It's us trying to tell us our own truth. And it's all crap. I'm sorry. And and I know that will rub some people the wrong way, but I love people enough to tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pet them so that they like me. I don't care mm-hmm. if they like me. I want them to know Jesus. And I want them to be loved. I want them to be fulfilled. I want them to, to experience the joy, the real joy of serving him and understanding him, being used you can't be used by God if you don't know him because you're going to get all these messages. And, and honestly, you know, the devil, 
is real and he shows up like an angel of light. And so a lot of people are getting messages from someplace, but it ain't, it's not my God. It's not their God either. I mean, it's who poses as a God. You know, Satan doesn't have to come to you. And I said this to you too, as you know, in, in red spandex horns and a pitchfork, he just wants you to be a little off. Because if you're starting at a certain point in truth, and you just are off, you know, a tenth of a degree going to one side or the other, the farther you go, the farther you get away from the true path. Mm. And so over time, you can be completely way over in left field doing some really freaky dumb stuff that's wrecked your life. The devil doesn't have to work that hard. He's a liar. That's all he has is his whole thing is he's a liar. So he tries to lie to you through stuff in the world. And, and we have a lot of phrases like my truth. No, there is the truth. I don't have any truth in me. There is no truth in me unless the truth that the Holy Spirit has who lives in me. You know, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Well, he that is in me is the Lord. I've received the Holy Spirit because I asked Jesus to, to save me. And so I listen to him and the Holy Spirit is the way, you know, God is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God the Father marks the path. You know, he has the plan. He, he's the architect. And, uh, you know, he's, he gives us this wonderful creation of being parents here. So we kind of get sort of a, we see through a clear glass darkly, Paul says. So we get kind of a general idea of how he is as a father because we get the privilege of being parents. Um, that inexplicable love that we have for our children that it's just innate to us, it's just a shadow of how God loves us. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that the only way we can get an idea of what that's like is through being parents, hmm. you know. Um, but he's also a judge. He's also this, I mean, we don't always want to give our kids the rod or, you know, or, you know, correct them in some ways. And, you know, through tears, you'll tell them, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I don't think that's for your good. And and they might pitch a fit or something, and it's going to be ugly for a little while, but you got to do a hard things sometimes. You for have to the let your baby good. cry sometimes. You have to not overfeed your kids sometimes. You have to do things that that don't make you happy because you don't get immediate gratification from making them happy with their immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. Well, that's tough love. Well, God's all about that, but he's, he's just God. And things don't work right if they're not judged properly. And so he's got to be all of these things. Um, and I think being a parent of us is one of the best ways to kind of see that mm. without thinking he's just so hard. Mm. He's all, but he's not messing around. Sin's not a joke to him. Sin's real. But he loves us so much that he gave his son that we might live and not die. So he, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't give us an opportunity to do something about it. He gives us the way where there seems to be no way every single time. And and he doesn't want us to go to hell. He didn't make hell for us. He made it for the devil and his angels. Um, but we're welcome to go wherever we want. He gave us free will. So he gives us choices. Um, there's really only one choice. It's him or not. We put him off because we think we've always got time, but we don't know. No. So I like to preach in season and out of season. I tell everybody I can about the Lord and I, it wasn't always like that, but you know, this all stemmed this where I'm going from too. I'm sorry. You're always going to end up getting to the Lord with me. No, but, it's okay. Um, but, this is know. not about me. This is about who is in that chair. And so please. Losing the weight 
it's really a superficial way to help me become the person I'm supposed to be. I can't do that if I'm sick. Being fat is not funny. You know, we have made it an idol in this culture. We have, you know, we, we talk about fat shaming. You know, my wellness company, which was helping change people's lives, losing weight, but losing weight wasn't the goal. The goal was wellness, getting off of medication, starting to do things naturally so you're not compounding your illness with side effects and this and that, getting hooked on things. And, and like where that was the place I was at. I just said one day, this can't be my life. Mm. I'm limited in everything. I, I, I have an asterisk by everything on my list that I want to accomplish in life. Well, you're probably never going to do that. Probably never going to do that. This is always going to be an issue. It's like, well, this sucks. Why, why do I have to say no to myself on everything? Mm. What if I want to do this? What if I, you know? Um, and so the Lord put a lot of really, really critical people in my life at a very critical time. Kathy Kruger is one of them who became my spiritual mentor, a really good friend who has been there for me in a, in a practical way as well. And I've only been in her physical presence like three whole times. And I've known her since like 2000 and, you know, 12 or 13, 2013, maybe no 2012. I met her at a writing retreat and she, a decade. she lives. Yeah. She lives up in, uh, Brainerd, Minnesota. Mm. And uh how'd you meet her? At at this writer's retreat in Chicago. Oh, that's right. And uh and uh it was a pivotal time to meet her. Wow. And so she's become extremely important to me. And uh you know, she ended up giving me writing jobs. She ended up, you know, just she, I can talk to her about anything with the Lord and with practical stuff and She's my 2 a.m. in the morning phone call. Um, and she, she has a really good way of telling me, you know, quit being a baby. You know, she's never said these words to me, right? But I know. Basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, stop your whining. Um, this is what you need to do. You know, that's not very useful what you're doing. She's never said any of those words to me ever. Mm. But they had the practical effect of getting me back online of, looking forward to things, feeling empowered, calling feeling, it out. Yeah. Making me, you know, helping me realize that there's so much more for me mm. and, and I'm cutting myself off if I accept these limitations and my ability to exceed limitations was honestly, the first thing I had to do is just draw closer to him, draw closer to the Lord so he could heal me in those areas and give me hope. Hope is the is the first seed of the faith, right? Mm. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Um, but also, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I have to hope first. And the faith can build out of that because I keep hoping and I keep hoping and I don't give up. And the Lord just feeds that. And when I get into the word, it feeds that and it grows and it grows and you know, if faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, then the more I'm in the word, the more I'm going to have my faith bolstered. The more that little seed of hope, because I've heard little pieces of the word here and I've got people loving on me and people making me accountable. People saying, this is not all there is for you, as opposed to the doctor saying, I'm so sorry. I feel like I've handed you down a death sentence. And uh, and me saying, I'm going to be sick, fat, you know, and incapable for the rest of my life. It just... 
you know, after you get out of the fetal position for a little while, you stop feeling sorry for yourself and you realize that me feeling sorry for myself is only disabling my children. It's only making their lives harder. It's only, you know, this is not helping anybody, frankly. And I might as well just die now because what good am I doing? This can't be my life. Mm. I mean, that's really where I had to come. And, and I remember different times I've said to the Lord, you got to be careful when you say that because he takes you seriously. Um, putting my head against the wall and just closing my eyes and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. Whatever you want, however you want to do it, change me. Change my circumstances. There's a song uh, that I really love, uh, Worlds Apart. Worlds Apart. Worlds Apart. And one of the line is, uh, take my world apart. Okay. I'm broken on my knees. It's really just a surrendering, saying uh, nothing's working. That pretty much gets it across, and it it resolves at the end Hmm. um, with basically it's it's the realization that you're just done trying to be your own savior, and I. I sang that song in and took it in when I was already born again. I had been a Christian for a lot of years, but we always, you know, doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means we're forgiven. It means that we're on the journey to figure out who God really wants us to be and, and to become that person. That's why sanctification takes your whole life. So, you know, Christians who act like they're all that a bag of chips, I question where they really are with the Lord. And like I say, being in a church makes you a Christian, like being in a garage makes you a car. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a, it's not just a belief system. It's all or nothing, man. Mm-hmm. It's life and death. This is who you are or it's not who you are. And so being an imperfect version of that doesn't cancel you out. It doesn't mean you're not. It just means that you're on your journey. And so... And a, and a person who's in that situation, we stay humble because we know that we could mess up at any time, and, but God's always got us. You know, he's always, um, he, he's always knew that we were going to get to this place, and he's already provided for it. We have no idea all the things he's doing behind the scenes that connect with this and connect with that, and all these things that seem like, you know, huge coincidence. You know, we use the word providence. Um, but it's by design. So that's where faith comes in. Sometimes I don't understand why he lets certain things happen. Other things happen, but Romans eight twenty eight says he, he causes all things for good for those who love the Lord according to his purpose. So if that's the case, then just cause I don't understand what the good is going to come out of this doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. I either trust him or I don't. It doesn't mean I can't get mad at him. I have never personally gotten mad at God, and I'm. it's not a point of pride. It's just I've never been in a position to. I'm always aware that God's got my back, and I'm, I'm glad of that, but that's not the way every Christian is all the time. It doesn't make me better or worse. It just makes me that's my problems are other things. Right, so I'm sure this this was crucial in your journey of weight loss when you decided to 
you know, the weight loss is a nice side effect mm. of personal surrender. Um, and it's funny because when I talk to my patients about, you know, and I don't even have to talk to them about the Lord or anything, they're not coming in for that. They're coming in to kind of get their life straight. And they think they're, it's just about learning how to eat. But it really has to do with, you know, what do you want? You have to walk, You have to wake up in the morning and go, who do I want to be? Is this who I am? And it has to be with, you know, we're addicted to food. We're addicted to, but we're, it, that's just part of one of many addictions that we have. And the world is trying to make money on us. And it's, it's put a culture together to get us to eat more and then, and then to lose the weight. So they have a whole other weight loss culture that is not always very helpful because that's based on keeping us just in, giving us enough um, general knowledge that we know we need that industry, but not enough to kick it, <laughs> not enough to get redeemed from it, not enough to get really changed. And so you've got, you know, there are a handful of programs out there, and there are real programs besides the one I was doing that all have some of the same basic, and it's based on biochemistry, but it's also based on taking responsibility for what you do. And I don't even want to stop at the words lifestyle change. That's so empty. What does that even mean, lifestyle change? Lifestyle change could mean, you know, um, the neighborhood you live in is different. The kind of clothing that you wear is different. Well, that's great, but that that's not deep enough. A life change, a gateway to a new life is different than just it's a lifestyle change. A lifestyle intimates that you just change some habits, a few habits. And that might work for some people. But most people that have come to me for the weight loss, they have deep, you know, the people who, who actually could change this, they're not just paying money to get somebody else to do the work for them, which does happen with some people. And they get really disappointed. Oh, this program doesn't work. It's like, well, how well did you go by it? Did you really try to understand the concepts behind it? Or did you just check boxes and go through it without trying to understand how your body is unique and you need to figure out you this is just a means to the end of figuring yourself out. This is a, a template that we all start with, but we're all unique individuals. And so we're going to have to modify either the actual foods that work for you or don't work for you based on your health, based on your lifestyle. Um, you know, we've seen people be successful on less useful foods than the optimal but there's good, better, and best. And so if you can't always do the best because your finances don't or you have people in your family that sabotage you or whatever, then let's go for what's better. There's always something better. Mm -hmm. And so they don't feel condemnation because they can't do it exactly as perfect as somebody else who can afford all the organic and all that. Well, is there a way where you can participate in a meaningful way? But it always comes down to where's your heart? What do you want to be in this life? And this body shouldn't be the goal. The body should be the vessel for getting you to that life. So you're taking care of it because it's it's the vehicle that you're going to become the person that you want to be. And it's it, where you live, right? Right. <laughs> like literally, that's where you live. So you have to take care of where you live. Right. Well, and it's how you interact with the world. And if the way you interact with the world is always from a point of sickness, victimhood, incapability, um, poverty, 
you know, you're not helping yourself. You're not helping anybody else. You're just bringing people down with you. If anything, you're using up their resources because you're constantly in need. Now, that sounds heartless, um, and I've had a lot of help, um, but the way you approach it is meaningful. And if you're always in a position where you're taking good care of yourself to where you get help, you don't have too much pride that you can ask for help when you need it, but the goal should be I want to get to a place where I can be there for somebody else, not that I can always be nursing from the world around me, and I can always be a victim. I can always have, oh, my life is so hard. Well, nobody really wants to live like that. Right. We get tricked into thinking that that's a good way to live, but ultimately you've got to be freed from that. From That's a prison in itself. Mm -hmm. Bitterness is a prison. You know, forgiveness is freedom, like bitterness is a prison. You know, so forgiving somebody who is still doing crud doesn't mean you forget it. It doesn't mean you continue to put yourself in harm's way, but it means that you free yourself from bitterness and you let it go and you, you let God deal with them. That's easier to do when you know the Lord and you know how the Lord handles those things. And then forgiveness one step further, but you've got to figure some things out before you can get to this place is sometimes you letting them go not only lets you go, but it helps you lead them to a better place as well. And that love can go outside of yourself. Here are all these people saying, oh, you got to learn to love yourself. It's like, no, we love ourselves just fine. We just don't know how to do it right. We think too much of ourselves sometimes. We're selfish people. We're prideful. We're deceitful. We're selfish. We all, I'm a liar. I'm a, you know, I'm a thoughtless person sometimes. I. Those defined my human characteristics, but I want to be more than that. So I have to surrender that every day. I have to make a decision. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I, I want my identification to be in Jesus. And who does Jesus call me to be? Not that. And so I can't slack. It's like you can't keep missing jujitsu training to get good at it. And you get sloppy and you start making mistakes and then you start not being able to win. And then you want to quit totally. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just a roller coaster. Yeah. You, you've got to always... You know, work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. Not that, you know, you have to get saved every day, but you have to make a choice to act like you are and act with the gratitude that you are and keep improving and growing. Or you get rusty in that too. And and problems come when you're not diligent. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, the freedom is that you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. But that does require you to put yourself in that position to be that. And so here's where it becomes the difference. A lifestyle is I've learned to make my bed in the morning. Well, that's a positive thing. It's not all there is, right? It does make my room a little less stressful. It sets me up for task completion for the rest of the day. I feel accomplished. But if I just stopped there, that would get empty after a while because there's only so much that's going to enhance your life by mm. having a made bed that nobody sees but you. Right. Right. So you have to go farther. You have to do the things that affect other people. You have to do something that's beyond you. You have to see God work. You have to see what he can do with you, how he can change you, how he can change other circumstances. You, you know, you don't grow as a person in relationships without putting yourself on the line a little bit, without risking something. And a victory is a hollow victory if it's not better than what you've known before. Mm. You know, you cannot 
I, I remember thinking about this uh, as a kid. A sunset is only meaningful because there are clouds for the sun to reflect upon. So sunset is more beautiful than just a plain sky, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. we, we, love, we love how goodness can reflect off of the badness, but you don't have anything to compare it to. If you haven't tasted the bad fruit, you don't know how good the good fruit is. Right. And I'm not saying sin more so that we can enjoy more. And, and you know, Paul even says, do we do that so that our, our forgiveness is even sweeter? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> However... It's like cheating the system, right? Talking right. about intention. But you, you, you want you never want to forget where you've been, yeah. Because you want to appreciate where you are and where you're going, or it just gives you an, a more accurate perception, and it helps you develop things like compassion, helps you develop personal strength, um, mental toughness. All of these things are tools. They're not the end-all, be-all of it, but they're tools that the Lord will allow you to develop so that you can do more with him later, that you can do, you can see miracles. Mm -hmm. You can see things that, you know, with God all things are possible. Well, that becomes really easy to believe and just to walk in that daily when you when you live in your miracles and you you speak the truth in love and you call out hard things and if you don't call out hard things people don't get past them mm -hmm. they just live in them and wallow in them they think that's all there is and then you know what's the purpose but you you help other people you know i have suffered a certain amount of persecution when i was up in illinois you know when i started being more open about my christianity or or my beliefs or anything and and people you know, a, a verse that we were just going over in church, um, the difference between light and darkness. The people who love darkness, they love it not because they love the darkness, but they don't want the light to expose their deeds. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have a comparison on what things could be. They just want to always emphasize the crud in their life because they don't want to be accountable for changing it. They don't want it. They're afraid to have the hope that things could be different because they don't want to be disappointed or you know, for a variety of reasons, we talk ourselves out of taking that risk and doing that thing that seems too hard. But unless we do the thing that seems too hard or we have faith or we we dare to hope for something better, um, we never give God a chance to show off, to show off his reckless love. Uh, another song uh, that we do sing and it's on the radio a lot Um is it in reckless love? Um, chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. There's another line. Um, let me see. It, it might be in that same song where um, um, I'll think of it in a minute. It's like I have a lot of music roll, that rolls around and sometimes I get them like into each other because when I'm singing at home alone, I'll go from one song to another song to another song. I forget which one is which sometimes, but it, it's leading me into a place where I need to be that I'm believing for something or I'm working through something, you know, handling stuff. And the, the best way to handle stuff is to think of the good things that God's already done. And it builds your faith for the things that he's still going to show you that you haven't learned how to see yet or, or believe for you know, it's always the, the progress. Um, there's no um, there's no shadow he won't light up. 
mountain he won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall he won't kick down, lie he won't tear down coming after me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So we are pursued relentlessly by a God who loves us. And sometimes, sometimes we let bad things happen to us because we're afraid of trusting God when God would just take care of it. But it's a process. And it's not to be condemned that we're not doing that, you know, and trusting God. But he doesn't let us go, I guess is the point. And so losing the weight was just the first thing that I had to do. I had to find something that I could have control over. And that was something that was mm. the first thing I wanted to get control over in my life. I didn't have a job that I could control. I didn't have relationships I could control. I didn't have finances I could control. But how about my weight? Let's see what I can do with my, my weight and my health. So I started, you know, studying, you know, autoimmune disease. And there were things that doctors never told me that I started learning. I told you, I started getting access through my doctor to certain medical white papers and starting to see, well, who on the internet is for real and who's a scam. And that started to be easy for me to see. And I started developing an understanding of the biochemistry and the, the issues behind autoimmune disorder. And, you know, knowledge is power. Knowledge enables you to go to the next level on things. And so... I started following autoimmune protocol, and that helped me a lot. It gave me some kind of control. But what I've noticed with weight loss with people, it certainly was true with me, when you start to understand those things and you feel here's one thing you can control, it gives you hope, and you start behaving differently in other aspects of life, like relationships, mm -hmm. like personal goals with finances, with jobs, with, you know, um, accomplishments I would have never imagined I was an athlete and now I have to find I have to keep myself from obsessing over it you know um and even though I have not got my gold yet in jujitsu I just know it's going to come but even without it I know that I'm an athlete I know that I'm working hard I know that I'm learning stuff I know that my body is capable of doing things now that I could have never dreamed I would have never dreamed, and I'm, I'm more physically fit and more capable of doing a lot of things with all these challenges I have um, at 59 than I had when I was 29. Wow. So, you know, and that was an undefined illness that I had, which they didn't understand autoimmune, but I just knew these things, and you can't complain about it because people don't want to hear it. Mm. You just sound like a bummer oh, I can't go on this with you because I'm feeling like this and all that. So you end up just dealing with it and getting more sick or being in a lot of pain and you just don't tell people. So when, when the doctors are telling you you're going to have to take all this medications, like what's going through your mind? Are you, are, are you thinking like, I probably do let me figure out some something else or like what what's going through your head? You first go through a grieving process. Well, no, actually, you first go through a process. Well, finally, somebody has diagnosed me, so I'm not being gaslit anymore. Mm. Because I've been told many times that implied that I was a hypochondriac like my mom, who now I'm I'm convinced had autoimmune disorders. And it's it's a there are so many symptoms that seem unrelated with some of these disorders that it seems implausible that you could have all of these things wrong with you. You know, the weakness, the tiredness, the not being able to think straight, the unstable moods, you know, the, um, you know, and so people who 
don't want to be accountable for how they're treating you or don't want to go to the trouble to help you or whatever, they will do a lot of gaslighting. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It can be anybody, and they don't mean it. It's a lot of passive aggressivity because you are physically not capable of doing something that they really want to do. And so they somehow have to, and they don't mean it, but they justify the way they kind of write you off by saying, oh, you just can't be around that toxic, whatever. It's like, how is this toxic? I feel like crap all the time. Yes. And, you know, you'd be in a mood disorder too if, first of all, your chemistry is whack, and, and I never realized that. My chemistry was whack, and so my emotions were on the edge all the time. And then you're always in pain. You're always tired. Everything that you eat makes you feel nauseous, gastric pain, you know, cramping. And that's just to start with what you're not attributing to what you ate is the three weeks of the skin issues that you're going to have or the joint pain. or the, And because you don't understand autoimmune disorders or that you even had them at that time, these seem like disparate things that you're just, wow, you're just always complaining. It's like, no, I'm not always complaining. If I always complain, I would never shut up because I literally went through years of not having one day where I wasn't in like between level four and six of pain. 24 7 all the time can't vacuum my house can't sweep the kitchen floor without my back going for up. years for years and it, it wears on you and it changes your attitude it, and even though you love God and you're crying out for God you're just not getting an answer and in my case you know could God have answered that sure he could do I wish he would I don't know that I want to wish anything happened differently because I wouldn't want to chance me not being where I'm at now Mm. I don't want to second guess God mm -hmm. and God had to work through a lot of stubbornness and a lot of pride on my part I went like 16 years as a Christian not wanting to really hear where I was messing it up mm. you know spiritually or otherwise not wanting to hear about my faults because you know I had all these obvious things that were not fair that were happening mm. to me on relationship levels and all that it's like it was easier to live in those areas because then I feel justified but I feel mistreated, and there's something about that, I don't know, we're, we're tempted to think that victimhood, that, you know, you can always find people that say, yeah, it's hard to be you, but that's not enhancing your life. You don't want to be justified by people. Mm -hmm. You want to be justified by God, but you don't even understand what that means until you see the difference. I think that is huge right now. I think that, especially like today, I feel like everybody is looking for something, someone, or just anything, or even just their luck, if they can't find any other reason yeah. um, as to why they're in the position they're in. And I think um, it's instead of like, it's you have to like figure out, start working on you, um, we, whatever that means. And, and, you know, for some people probably are more advanced than others. And Maybe they have, uh, maybe they were raised a certain way where they can, they have uh, an anchor of where to go or what to do to kind of get themselves together. Yeah. But what about for, you know, and then I wonder about people who just maybe grew up in a, in a, in a tough situation where they don't know what to do, yeah. where to go, how to start that, where to even begin. Right. And so. You know, I think we all know there's been a spike in, um, you know, mental health leading to a lot of uh, su suicidal, like it's 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 on the rise. 
Well, and our culture is, is asking for that, too. I mean, we are telling people that they can fight for their truth. They can fight for their, you know, the Me Too movement had a lot of good things with it, but a lot of bad things, too. Yeah. Um, in, in my case, you know, and I say with the Me Too movement, the reason why I'm kind of, like, conflicted about that is it's really good that people can finally be heard. Mm-hmm. People who have been victimized, people who have been hurt, and I've been in all of those positions in one way or another. Um, so it's good that it there's the stigma of being able to talk about bad things that have happened to you is there. The problem is is that it came at a cost because the way it came out, everybody's just so darn angry about it and feeling so not heard for so long. Now they want to do the same damage back. So they want to wreck people's lives. So now we've that's developed into this odd, really destructive cancel culture to where you've got to be careful about what you said 30 years ago. It's stupid. People evolve. Those things have not, they're not, they don't define who you are now. Mm-hmm. You said a dumb thing when you're 14. Well, who hasn't? The only reason why, you know, these younger people, I feel sorry for them because everything is getting videoed. Everything is is on Twitter. Everything is on somewhere, something, mm. and it never dies. But you know, if you are in a in a place where they've got to do some serious digging to find anything you did at a party when you were eighteen or something, you know, there, you know, Facebook changed everything because now people that you thought you lost track of thirty years ago, now you're safe and you don't have to deal with that anymore. They can find you on Facebook. Or a lie that you were telling because you didn't want to really be accountable in this disagreement with somebody and you just kind of wrote it off and you got away without making that right all these years because, of course, you're never going to find them. Facebook changed all of that. Yeah. It changed all of that. Yeah. Um, and it's for the bad and for the good. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, these this culture that we've got now, everybody wants to be right in their own eyes. Well, that's that's ancient. That's what the Bible says. There's periods of time in the Old Testament and New Testament that are described as everybody wanted, you know, they did what was right in their own eyes. And so they sinned and they went against God and they they went against the, the men and women of God and they, you know, tortured God's people. And they they wanted to do things based on what they thought was right rather than what God thought was right. And, and that's the beginning of the downfall of many civilizations. It's what brought Rome down. You know, Rome had to get built back up by becoming a Christian nation of sorts, but then it still had other problems later. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, It's just mm -hmm. a cyclical kind of thing of, you know, the Bible says that uh, nothing changes. You know, uh, everything is just the same over and over and over. There's nothing new under the sun. So things that happened then are happening now. Things that are happening now have already happened before. It's just a new way It's sped up by our technology. It's sped up by our ease of data analysis and and aggregate statistics. And we we have ways of communicating faster. And so some things might develop faster. And it's kind of like, you know, when people are bipolar and they have cycles of mania and depression, whatever. And no two manic depressive or bipolar people are necessarily going to look the same because they cycle differently Mm. they cycle faster or they cycle shorter periods of time in one phase than the other phase it's kind of like that the way man is in Mm. history things took longer to cycle through back then because they didn't 
pervade the culture the same. It's a lot of things were like when the Crusades went through or the, you know, the, the Muslim invasions went through before the Crusades, which in 1400, the Crusades were in response to the Muslim, you know, world takeover. And, and But there were a lot of good things that happened in both of those things. And there are a lot of evil things that happened in both of those things. But they took hundreds of years. Now things can happen with a blink. Mm on the internet and mm -hmm. somebody can say something in one country and then that bomb can get set up in another and then this culture can get pervasively changed and twisted by some popular weird thing that doesn't matter but it hurt a lot of people I mean, but also good things can happen too we can be a blessing we know that somebody in this country over here needs something we can mobilize the message we can get that help over there so in some ways mm -hmm. it's still comparable Mm -hmm. But the cycling has changed, and the way it looks has changed, but there's still nothing new under the sun. It's still all the same. Man has the same flaws, the same temptations, the same character, the same signature, and God has the same solution over the ages. He had this plan from the beginning, and it's been in different stages of how it's played out, and now it's after Jesus has already done the deed, and so he's available to all of us. So... um. This culture that we're in now, this this whole thing, I mean, my version of it was, do I want to be blamed for the things going on in my life? Well, you know what? The more I, I've come to believe, and I wish I knew it in every sense and I never violated this, but I have the head knowledge is starting to be caught up by the practical knowledge and the walking out of the knowledge as I get older. So I get wiser. The wisdom to me is the walking out of the, you make real the knowledge that's out there. You, you hear from God and it becomes more than just head knowledge. It becomes wisdom because you see how it responds practically in your lives and you can incorporate it and it becomes part of you. And now it just flows from you. You know, wisdom has to be gotten from God, but you have to develop it and exercise it like a muscle for it to grow and become permanent, for it to, you know, stay ready and to stay, embody it you would say maybe. to embody it and to be able to live it and to share it hmm. um wisdom is better than knowledge because knowledge can be abused knowledge can be misused it can be lost hmm. it can be twisted and corrupted but wisdom is wisdom the hmm. nature of wisdom is it leads to the right it leads to good things it leads to positive things it it's either wise or it's not if it has bad fruit it's not wisdom yeah, so it's like like bedrock. Wisdom is better than knowledge, mm -hmm. and and we're supposed to ask God for wisdom. That's one of the. That's why Solomon was so favored. And Solomon did not do everything right. He had a million wives. He, you know, he fell into that culture. He did a lot of stupid stuff, and he wasn't always faithful later. Um, but because he asked for one thing from God, wisdom, God gave him favor, and gave him what he asked for. So in these things, he had wisdom. So. Um, we're living in a world that truly lacks wisdom. The foolishness of man is on display, you know, in a heartbeat through all this technology that we have. You know, wisdom can be shared, but also foolishness is shared. Um, and foolishness, you know, leads to death. You know, the biggest fool is the person that says there is no God. I mean, that's really what the crux of sin is. There is no God or, or I am all that right, right, 
right. you know, putting yourself on the throne, whether it's denying God, denying that he exists, or making something else your God. It's all the same. Yeah. It's all the same. So um, I guess in my case, you know, even when you're a Christian, you still have to watch and make sure that your foolishness doesn't come up and become what you act on, you know. Um, so you can still make the wrong choices about even the right things. And you can still, you know, so it sounds picky and it sounds like God's being legalistic. No, it's all practical. But that's why sanctification is a journey. And God is so patient with us that he understands that we're going to make these mistakes and we're going to do these things. And he allows for them you know, with the intention to, to grow us out of it. Yeah. So we've always got to be on a path to being better, to growing, to, to not wanting to stay the same. Um, or we will not just stay the same. We will regress. There is no staying in one place. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of um, Jordan Peterson talks about um, you can only see the light in the darkness. And it's because like when, when, when you're in the dark, when everything, it's kind of, I guess, essentially kind of falling apart in your life. If you just kind of see, like, you're going to know the obvious thing to kind of see, and that's going to be the light. So when it's, when everything is good, when there's daylight, it's hard to see what's truly like good because there's so many good things are what's truly important because there's a lot of good things happening. So, but not until it gets dark, do you see really, um, the light. And sometimes it can be meaning it can mean different things for meaning people, depending on the circumstance. It's kind of that mindset of like, um, we know nothing basically, but we're, you know, here essentially. So we got to like in my eyes, I, I see a lot, a lot more simpler I, I, probably than you. It's like, to me, it's like, all right, we're here. Let's just do the best of it and do what we can. And, you know, sometimes you have random thoughts in, in, in your head of that pop in. And then for some reason now, if you don't do that thing, now you feel bad. Like now it's gonna, you never know if you never do that one thing, you know, years may go by and you might say, oh, that one thing I should, and, and you start kind of feeling a burden, right? Because you didn't do that one thing. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel it's like all kind of like s similar. It's all connected. There is a, there is a, a journey, you know, mm -hmm. whether you feel like you're following God or you're just following your own journey or whatever it is. And that doesn't change the fact that God is sovereign and God's overall. And he knows where you're headed. It says, I, I know the plans I have for you for a future and a hope, not disaster and calamity. Um, but we can make choices and we can do things that, you know, don't go against his plan. The good news is, is that he already anticipated you making that stupid plan. <laughs> and, uh, and he's, always made a way where there seems to be no way, but you have to, you have to trust the process. You have to, you have to go there. Mm. And sometimes that means you have to lay down your idols. You have to lay down your assumptions. You have to lay down the things that, you know, what's keeping you from doing the next thing. Honestly, it's usually fear. Faith is the, is the spiritual opposite of fear. And so if it's impossible to please God without faith, 
then fear never pleases God. But, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of all academic until you get square where you are with the Lord to begin with. Um, that's where you got to start is, you know, who's the Lord of my life right now? Am I the Lord of my life? Am I the, the pilot? Am I the, am I the captain in my life? Well, you know, hey, I, I have a lot of people that I love and I respect and I will learn from that have not put their faith in Jesus yet. Um, I say yet because I'm always praying. Um, and I have a lot of friends who, I have friends who are Muslim. I have friends who are, you know, uh, who are doing things in their life that I don't necessarily approve of, but they don't need my approval. They answer to a holy God, and I just love them, and I want them to, I want them to be saved. Because how can I believe what I believe, and think it's awesome, and then be too selfish and worry about what they think about me that I won't talk about it? Hmm. Well, that's the ultimate selfishness. To be a Christian who doesn't tell people about Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you here? If we were just supposed to hear about Jesus and then keep it all to ourselves, then we would go poof and we'd be in heaven immediately. Why even bother with this stuff? Mm. But he keeps us here. Why? Because we are the light of the world. We are supposed to share that that gospel because that's the love that we have in us. We're supposed to not worry about what man thinks of us. I, you know, it, and this was all part of my transformation, you know, and it's been in steps. And I really appreciate that God has taken the time to do this over time. It's just been so kind of him to not expect me to like, boom, have to do everything all at once. And he's given me, you know, channels and periods of time and stages to grow in. And he's, he's just always there with me and leading me to the next thing. But he still accomplishes his purpose in that phase of my life when I haven't gotten a handle on X, Y, and Z, he still works with this and he still helps this person through me or whatever. The key for me is just to say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? I don't get it. I don't have the resources for that. I'm glad you do. Um, whatever you say, God. And that's been the hardest thing for me to learn, but now it's become the most fun thing for me to do. And just when I think I've got a handle on it, God will take away another thing that I was hanging on and, and remind me, are you really trusting in me? Are you trusting this thing I gave you, this job or this whatever? And I, I've had to literally tell my boss before I lost my job before Thanksgiving. And he was like emotionally upset that he wasn't going to be able to keep me on. And it wasn't because of my performance. It wasn't even because of the business. It was just because he was changing, going to a new chapter with his business. And I could see it hurt him to not be able to say, I got you on this. Um, and I looked at him, I said, you know how many times I've told you this, you're not my provision. You have never been my provision. I, you know, you can be released from that. God is my provider and he used you. And I thank God for it. He used you and he, he showed me a lot of things. He grew me up as a human. He grew me up as a professional. He grew me into this industry a lot through you. And I'm so grateful and I don't regret a thing. So you can just let that go. And I know he still feels bad. Um, but He's probably a good man. He's a wonderful man. Loves God, really wants to do the right thing. And uh, I know it still bugs him because he loves me. He cares about mm -hmm. me. He and his wife have been enormously generous with me and kind and um, gave me the best job I ever had for a year and a half um, to where I think I will incorporate aspects of that in everything I do from mm -hmm. now on. 
because that brought me to a different place, brought me to more understanding of people, helped develop giftings with those people. What Um, did you do there? I was a wellness counselor and dealt with weight loss, but getting people off of medications. And uh, really, it was just a doorway into life change. So it really ended up being life coaching, Mm. um, mentoring. There are several people from there that still... I have relationships with a lot of them, in fact, and I, you know, we do things on Facebook together and, um, you know, the, the big thing that I learned to say to them on my own, and it became kind of part of our program was that I'm going to help you become an expert in who you are. Yeah. Um, and that's the hardest thing that people don't know how to do. How do you, and we'll start by, let's take care of your health. Your health is, you know, we'll start you on this plan that has a lot of general things that will work for everybody, but then we need to focus on what works best for you because your metabolism, your lifestyle, your sensibilities, your family, all of these are unique. The combination of them are very unique. And where you're headed in life is also unique. And the the goals that you personally have, they're all unique. So we need to tailor this, but I can't, I'm going to lead you in this now. By the end of this, when we get to your maintenance phase, you're going to be leading me because I'm not in your body, in your head. I don't go home with you. You are going to have to figure out how to do the basic things that work the best for your body and be responsible for them. So we actually started giving them like a diploma certification in what they had achieved Mm -hmm. because it was like taking a college course, but more. I mean, it was really like getting certified and they understand the biochemistry they understand the plan, but more than that, they understand how it affects them, what they need to do. And if they start to gain a little weight or they're losing control of this aspect of their life, what little things can you do to just get that back on? Well, they all feel enabled now. These people, you know, will probably have the highest rate of not ever gaining that weight back of most people that do these programs. Because they understand. Because they get it. They, they've gotten more than a few supplements for a period of time that we actually, the goal is to wean them off of that and learn how to do it with just their food. Mm. But you can't do that unless you understand what their food is doing, you know, bad or good, and how certain things work better for you. Uh, I'm going to add this to your diet, even though that's really not on plan, but you have autoimmune disorder people. A lot of times I'll have them use foods that have more probiotics in them that aren't necessarily included in the plan, but because of their chemistry, it actually works better for them in the sense. So we adjust a lot of things for them but we also adjust the lifestyle we adjust like okay most of the time we tell people to do food prep this way in this time of day but you work at night so we have to make some allowances we have to do some different things oh you just cannot make yourself eat fresh vegetables you really like the frozen or you really like the canned vegetables let's see the best we can do with what you got meet Mm -hmm. them where they are and then if they they see, look at the, the results I'm getting this way. Let's do this. But isn't that like it is in life and everything? You have to meet these people where they are so there's no condemnation on them. So I use a lot of concepts that I use when I'm sharing the Lord with somebody so that they don't feel condemnation, that they feel like they can, they don't have to tell me all their confessions and everything that's going on. But if they do need to talk, I will listen to them. And they may not even need to tell me everything but they have got nobody else hearing them out. Maybe this is the closest they know how. Sometimes I have to realize that I'm the closest thing they're going to get to Jesus. And I'm a very poor substitute. I am no substitute. 
I am nothing. I bring nothing to the table. Everything I have is his. However, it's the closest they've got right now. And so I'm going to do the best I can reminding them, okay, I'm imperfect. I'm going to let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. So I'm just going to ask you to forgive me right away when I don't answer something properly or I give you the wrong advice or whatever. But here's my heart, and it's based on this, and I care about you. And this is the truth that I can tell you. And it, de it depends what you want to do with it. But ultimately, it's not my responsibility to get people saved. It's the Holy Spirit. He calls, not me. I just have to say, yes, Lord, here I am, say the message, and then it's totally up to them to do whatever. So people who feel like they have the Bible shoved down their throat, they're not being served well. And they need to forgive the person that shoved it down their throat because they had good intentions. They just don't know how to do it. They just need to do it differently. And God's probably training them mm. in different things, how to love people differently. They're so desperate for their their loved one to make sure that they're okay. Mm -hmm. And they they get kind of lost in their own feelings about it. And they a lot of Christians think that it's their responsibility to get people saved. It's like, when is that ever the case? I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm sure as heck not taking responsibility for being that. That's that's beyond that's above my pay grade for mm. sure. But what is within my pay grade is just to just to tell the truth. And then they can do with it what they want. I don't care if they never they never put their faith in Jesus for 20 years after I tell them, I'm still gonna love them the same. I'm still gonna pray for them the same. I'm still gonna do whatever, you know, the Lord leads me to do with them. If they still want to be friends and we want to have those conversations, I'm there. Right. Love it. Um, because they're not doing that for me. That's between them and God. But I would not be a good friend if I didn't tell them the truth. And those people who are, they don't want to receive it. I can't tell you how many people come back five years later and say, you remember when we prayed this or I told you no. It's like, can we talk about that again? Like, sure. Or they'll find somebody else in their life that will say other seeds and they'll say things that sound similar or wake something up that they heard, the hope that they had, they, even though they didn't get to turn it into faith. Um, you know, we're supposed to be planting seeds, um, but it's not my responsibility to see that seed planted, watered, honed, and harvested. That's, that's not going to be about me. It's going to be about me somewhere in that process. There was a Pew Research study some years ago when I was doing my uh, my grad school where um, there's actual statistics that say usually people, uh, the average amount of times that people heard some form of the gospel was seven times before they really got it and it resonated with them and they made that decision to put their faith in Jesus. Um, it's not the only way, but it, it's this worldly research not done by Christians and they just, they're just asking questions. And so that's what it came up to. So I don't know if I'm one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. It's really fun to be seven, but you know that what you're sharing with them is just a, a right timing thing. It's nothing that I said. So I don't feel a lot of pressure to always be perfect, mm. to say the right things, to do the right things. Um, the pressure's not on me because I don't do anything out of me anyway. I'm just a vessel that came at that time that God was, God's like, this is today's the day of salvation, buddy. Betsy is so blessed that I let her be the one to, to witness that. That's, that's a blessing. And we all love that. 
But, you know, the thing that I have been learning is to love that process no matter what number I am in that equation. And, of course, it's not going to be the same for everyone. You know, I might be the first person to tell them, and I get to do it. Cool. I might be the 27th person or, the, you know, or the person, the first person that they didn't want to punch in the mouth. I mean, and it's not because I'm so great. It's just because the timing was right. And so I don't get my head, you know, a big you don't, you, you don't tell yourself thing. a story yeah. that yeah it, it it's got to be something that i just do because god says this is their time and there are times where i felt like the lord said this today is their day of salvation and so it'll make me persist even when they kind of put me off i'm gonna say i'm gonna take a chance that you're not gonna be mad at me but if if you know you can tell me at any point when you want me to stop and typically when i feel that they don't have me stop. They ask more questions. Or there are times where I would share the gospel with somebody like at work or somewhere, and they kind of like are abusive to me. And I just love them through, and it's like, you know what? That's okay. You know, that's I just had to tell you that one thing. You can do whatever with it you want. But who do you think they come to later? Or I've been a person that's been persecuted. That definitely happened when I was in the theater community up in Chicago. I had people say some really awful things to me. And I wasn't even talking to them specifically. They just, they're mad at God. A lot of times when people tell me that they're an atheist and they don't want to hear my BS or whatever, true atheists are not passionate about and not angry about nativity. Or they're usually people that have this uh, peripheral, passive belief in God that they don't want to admit and they're actually ticked at God. Or else they wouldn't have that passionate response. And I don't know, people will hear this and they'll be like, I disagree with that. That's fine. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but this seems to be my experience. Um, but to me, a real atheist is not passionate about anything, you know, with God, because it's just a harmless fairy tale. And if it gets them a nice meal and pretty decorations, um, the most ardent atheists I've known are people that were easy for me to talk to. And they like to hear what I have to say. And they, it's just an interesting intellectual conversation and they can handle that. Well, that, you know, hey, I'll have that conversation too. I'll have a conversation with somebody who wants to tell me that there is no God. Well, okay, that's fine. All I can tell you is this experience and what the word says. And it's like, well, how can you prove the Bible is real to me by talking to me about the Bible? It's like, there's a lot that I could tell you. It's not the Bible. I can tell you my testimony. I can tell you what I've seen. I can tell you what, and you can say it's a delusion. And I, I don't take that personally because they're not there. Put them back in the oven. They're not done yet. You know, and it, I don't condemn them for that because they're working through something. But if, if I was obedient and I only talked about it because the Lord told me and I wasn't just being Betsy trying to win an argument. And that used to be, that used to happen too. And I had to repent of that because you know, I, I've learned to tell the difference between, ooh, that was God, that wasn't God, that was mm. Betsy's ego. That's I don't want you to just be a check mark, a check the box or a, a notch on my belt. I, I want you to really have the truth and the love of God. I want you to see your life, you know, abundant. I want you to live and not die. I, I want to share this beautiful life that I have and, and see how it manifests in you. I want to see that, you know, I, I want you to be blessed. I don't want you to go to hell. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, that's the heart of a believer. But if it's not showing good fruit, then it wasn't God for you to share at that time. So you need to back off. 
you know, knocking on the door is one thing. You got to let them open it. You don't open it. They open it. Yeah. Right. You have to recognize the open doors and the locked, the locked doorknobs. You don't bust down somebody's door. If God wants to do that, he is welcome to do that, but that won't be with me. Right. Right. Yeah. That you were mentioning earlier in your, um, when you were practicing wellness in this place, um, did you already have a lot of like this knowledge? I'm assuming of understanding through the autoimmune, which I'm sure is why he hired me, even though I was still in a place where I needed to find my own plateau and figure some things Mm. out. And through, you know, working through that, that program, I did understand, Oh, this is what I was doing wrong. A lot of my exercise was actually sabotaging my weight loss Mm. and wrecking my metabolism. I didn't understand what cortisol did. I didn't understand how I was messing up my hormone balance and things. And, and once I just got that, it was a very small adjustment because a lot of what we were doing in that program really followed closely with what autoimmune protocol was. It was just the way I was exercising and things. That was some of it. So even how you exercise, it's... Oh, so what were exercise you doing? can really mess you up if you don't do it the right way. Mm. So was it like, was it what you were doing or how you were doing it? Both. Both. Well, like swimming is really good for me because I have all the joint pain and that, you know, and, uh, and now I have an artificial knee. So I have to be careful about things that have high impact because not because they'll break the appliance, but it'll shorten its lifespan. You know, I don't want to wear it out Mm -hmm. too soon. Mm -hmm. So, um, it doesn't renew itself like our natural joints do. So, um, running is something I really can't do. I allow myself to do what we do in warmups with jujitsu because we're on a soft, mat and I'm not running flat out mm-hmm. so you, you you know you can modify things and whatnot but um when you for instance with cortisol cortisol is your fight or flight um it happens when you're stressed out it, it gives you quick energy quick adrenaline to get things done when you know to handle a difficult or dangerous situation a stressful situation but you can't live there because then you go through adrenal exhaustion Um, and when you live in cortisol, when you're exercising, for instance, like 40 to 60 minutes, you're just doing an easy run or a walk or something where it's taxing you for sure, more than just your normal easy pace. Um, but it's not getting your heart rate up a lot. All your cortisol levels are going sky high and cortisol will tell you to start storing fat. It will turn, take you into sugar burning instead of fat burning. So you'll start to short, you'll start to store fat, not burn it, and you'll actually get into muscle uh, consumption. Mm-hmm. So you got to be really careful with that. So my hour of swimming, and my swimming is is not pretty. It is ugly and it is slow. So I was feeling pretty good about myself for being able to do it an hour at a time. I worked that up to where I could do it cardio-wise, um, even when I was big in it. And I only got to a certain place where I could lose so much weight, but I didn't understand that I was actually devouring muscle. And mm-hmm. skipping meals is another thing that you don't do. Things like that, you know, eating less, the, the calories in, calories out, uh, you know. While there's a nugget of truth in all of these things, it's not the end all be all. It's how you eat, what you eat, when you eat. All of those things make a difference with how your body metabolizes, particularly for people like me who had a broken metabolism that needed to be healed. If your metabolism is awesome and it never really got too far off, you can get away with some of that stuff. Mm. And we do that stuff in maintenance. But maintenance is 
the way that you'll live forever after you get your metabolism healed. Mm. And to get your metabolism healed, you have to do certain things. And getting your cortisol levels up is a bad thing. So I was, that was one thing. So my swimming and my hour walks, um, all of those things without really ever getting my heart rate up and then backing off and heart rate up and back. So like hit treat hit training is mm-hmm. perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu is awesome for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why jujitsu worked so much better for me than the other. I see. You know, and I can't hit the mat. I can't hit running hard now because of my artificial knee. So how am I going to get my heart rate up? Well, I started doing laps with swimming differently. I just go flat out where I felt like I was going to have a stroke for just about a minute and get the heart rate pumping and then back off a little bit, changed everything. And my 15-minute workout was much more effective than my hour to hour and a half. Yeah. Less time. Um, It's not about the calories expended. It's about how my my metabolism was acquiring energy and developing the energy and where the energy was, you know, being created from. And also feeding your workouts is really important too. You know, just the combinations of food, bone biochemistry. So I learned more about that. So I took what I, and that's what I think was appealing to him is that I was really wanting to understand the processes Mm. and go through it. And I had found a lot of success, but I had plateaued out. And then when I busted my knee again, if you're not fixing your metabolism, but you're popping it up with the autoimmune protocol, which is okay for a while, but until you fix your metabolism, mm. you cannot get away without exercise. You have to have that exercise to some degree. And so when I had the busted knee for two years, you know, before I had the knee replacement surgery, there was no way I was going to get my metabolism fixed. Okay. So I just want to make a quick point. You, you, you have all these issues you have, um, an artificial knee, you're 59, and you're training jujitsu. Yeah, it's awesome. Not only just training, you're also competing, of course, right before the surgery. Yeah. Um, that is so crazy. That is. It's a good life. <laughs> it's a good life. I love it. I did not, ex- I expected to like it. I didn't expect to get hooked. How did you get hooked? Like, how how did you say, okay, I'm going to go and sign up? And how long? Well, it started when I, you know, I was, uh, I had lost the weight. I was down all the way and I figured out my metabolism. And now I wasn't like going back and forth anymore. I was down to my ideal weight. I was really happy about it. Um, Or I thought I was at my ideal weight. I didn't realize I could actually gain 10 pounds of muscle and still lose 10 pounds of fat and end up being like the same or less, but be a lot healthier. Um, You know, you don't really know how far your body can go until you just, you try it. You test it. And your body will tell you when you're, you're at your, your good place. And that's what people understand. They they do these weight and height charts. They're so bogus because they're not based on anything individual to you. Your metabolism, your health, your lifestyle, your, you know, food allergies or sensitivities. It's it's just, it's not a good fit. So um, even BMI is not as good as knowing what your muscle mass and your fat percentage is. Those are actually the golden numbers mm. to go by to kind of figure out where you're at. Um, so even when I got to the place where I was pretty satisfied with that, I knew that I couldn't go to the next place of you know um muscle mass 
you know, true muscle mass, especially high quality muscle mass, burns fat at rest. So I, I wanted, honestly, I wanted to be able to eat more things mm. that, you know, were still problematic for me in, in going back into the catabolic stage. And so I wanted to have a little bit more freedom in my maintenance. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that unless I built more muscle mass. So then I continued with my workouts, but my sons gave me ideas of how to do combination. They were like, always do combination exercises. If you just do isolated exercises, that's not as helpful as when you do like, instead of me just doing, um, you know, a leg extension or something, um, doing a and then doing, you know, some kind of hip exercise or whatever. If I do an inclined, you know, leg press or squats or something, that's going to get like three or four different large muscle groups and they're going to learn to work better, right? So I can really hammer at that and, get, and then learn teaching myself to do pull-ups. I never did a pull-up in my life. I'm still working on that. Uh, but to get that upper body strength, which I've never had, you know, I've, I've always had weak arms, weak shoulders, weak back, weak whatever, and just working on those things. So I started to do assisted pull-ups and do, you know, different kinds of exercises that took, you know, multiple muscle groups and then, you know, incorporated my back and my neck and my chest and my triceps and everything together rather than just a tricep, mm-hmm. you know, extension or a bicep curl or something Mm -hmm. and so they and basically I worked my workout down to two things well it was great but it didn't last long enough I do it till muscle failure I do three sets of each until muscle failure and you want to get your weight set to where you can't do more than 12 in the in the lower and you can't do but you can uh, you don't want to do less than eight Mm. you know to where that's the sweet spot. And then with your upper body, it's really more like between 12 and 15 mm. to do three sets to muscle failure. And, and the third set, if you can't do quite as many, you add a little bit of weight and try to do the, you know, a little bit less with more weight. Just, you want to get to full failure, right? Okay. Because then your muscles have to build back and you have to feed that workout and all that. So, I mean, I understood all of that. Um, but I never could make myself care mm. to work really hard it was like oh, i'm tired i'm coming after work i've had a 12-hour day and i'm emotionally exhausted because when you're dealing with all these patients that come in and you're basically kind of you're hearing their stuff and guiding them and redirecting them and it's and if you're really invested in them you have to be careful to not get emotionally exhausted and and i had to learn how to do that mm. but in the process you're still getting like white by the end of the day. And uh, so, you know, sometimes you just want to go home and chill and you don't want to work out. And so when you go and you work out, you're just like, okay, how many did I do? Did I really get the full? It's like, eh, I didn't do it. It's an exact muscle failure. You're not going to get the results. Why am I even doing this? So I started bringing patients in and I, and I went to COLA so I could bring in a person for free to work out with me. Mm. Right. And they just have to sign a waiver or whatever. So I started bringing in patients that, always told me, yeah, I'm going to start working out. And it's like, well, you can lose the weight without working out. This will work that way. But wouldn't it be great just for you to see what you can accomplish, you know, to see how hard you can work and feel good about yourself. And so I started bringing patients in. And, man, I would work them really hard. And then I'd turn around and say, now you have to push me. 
I would get the best workouts because they would be ruthless. They'd be, I want two more, Betsy. And it's like, because I just put them through that, right? Mm -hmm. And they're used to me coaching. And this is, I will use that as my transition between in the program, I started out leading them and then I want them to lead me in their weight loss. So this is ways, sometimes you have to teach them to be leaders of themselves by giving them a little responsibility with other things. And one of my ways was bringing them to my workouts. Um, it was really effective. But you can't do that all the time. And I can't schedule them for like before work when I really wanted to do it when I was fresh. And it's like, yeah, can you meet me at my gym at 5.36 o'clock? It's like, oh, they're like, oh, that's a hard pass on that, Betsy. <laughs> it's hard for me to even eat spinach more than once a day. It's like, okay. So I was just getting incre increasingly dissatisfied. And meanwhile, I'm going to my son's jujitsu training. And I'm noticing that, you know, Abe used to do bodybuilding. And he was getting muscles on muscles. And now he just goes into the gym for a little bit of maintenance. He is not working out like he used to. And even Elijah's not doing that anymore. And they're the ones that are setting up my workouts for me. It's like they're maintaining quite a bit of muscle definition and mass. And it's really helping them in a, in a very specific way with jujitsu. Hmm. And I just got sick of being a bum mm. and not pushing myself hard. And it's like, and it also sounds really fun. And I'd like, I'll never be able to compete. I'll never be able to, you know, get at the heights that they're getting. I'll probably never get past, you know, get, I wasn't interested in going up belts, anything like that. But just the idea that it might be fun and it's accountability with other people that are there. Like they'll kick my butt if I don't show up because I saw the camaraderie that Abraham and Elijah had with their friends. And because I would see the same people at different tournaments and they weren't even from their gyms. People that they met, and I've experienced that since now, too. I've got a lot of friends in networking because they watch you and they start following you. And then you go and see theirs. Oh, I don't want to leave it, you guys. So-and-so that I know from Houston is up here and they're competing in, you know, or San Antonio or something. I really want to see what Cassie does. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You become mm -hmm. invested. And so I wanted that kind of investment. I wanted that kind of accountability. And I needed more community. Mm -hmm. I was getting community at church, but those people at church don't understand anything that I'm doing with jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. I think they think sometimes, I think they're really worried. And when they know I've got a tournament coming up, they're like, oh, um, I'm really going to pray that you don't get hurt. Like, pray that I do my best. Don't pray that I don't get hurt. <laughs> there are some people that are, are kind of horrified that I do what I do. <laughs> and, uh, so I, you know, and so I want community of people that have those kind of goals that they can make me accountable, right? And I, I got way more than I bargained for. I love those people, right? You know, right. it's how I've gotten to know you. In the, and you mm -hmm. came in kind of late for me. I was already there for a few months before I, I heard about you before I met you. I hope good things. Always good things. <laughs> Actually, they, they called you uh, beast mode. Oh, yeah. Who's <laughs> called Myra? A, a couple of people referred to you. And I remember when people said, we'd like to really have Hannah meet Myra. I remember hearing about that. And that's when you had taken some time off, I think. I don't, when did you actually come back? Let's see. Uh, it was June. I had my daughter. June, July, August. So uh, probably the first, the first Monday of September. So I was three months in by then. I started. Right no, August. Sorry, because I was two months. Maddie, okay. Madison was two months. Well, I started jujitsu and then you and I didn't go to the same classes. Um, I started 
a few, I started right when you were getting ready to have your baby. Okay. Yeah. Cause when I first signed up was June of last year Yeah. and then I trained, but I was in the 10 30 AM class. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I had Madison. Well, I didn't start until Memorial day this year. Memorial. Okay. So that was, so the beginning of June is when I started it. Oh yeah. That's when like I literally, cause I came even that week before Mad- Madison was born because mm-hmm. I was induced. So I still went like the week before I got scheduled to get induced. Yeah. And uh, that was in May, May, the last week of, that was, uh, yeah, May May 1st. Which is when I June was. June 1st, sorry. It, it was the month of May. I was getting incre- increasingly dissatisfied with my ability to push myself at my workouts. And it was getting more and more difficult as the weather was warming mm. to get people to want to come with me to work out. So it's like, well, this sucks. Mm. I, I, I want to push myself and I got to do something else. And I didn't really have the money. It was just an act of faith because jujitsu can be expensive. And, uh, and while I appreciate my job, it didn't pay what a lot of people get paid. Um, and I was okay with that. You know, it paid my bills, but this was really a hardship to mm-hmm. add that to it. And, uh, so I didn't ask my sons about it. I didn't say anything to them because um, there was no place that they went to that was close to where I work. Mm. And I was like, well, should I go to a place that's close to where I work or where I live or whatever? And they went up to a place in Grapevine. Um, it's like, you know what, but that'll be out of the way all the time. You know, mm. like oh, all the way down and south, you know. So I was looking and I found one gym and uh, I just... I don't know. I just got it in my head that I wanted to just go to this one without shopping around, without finding anything out. I just wanted to go to this place. And it was kind of like the way the Lord found my church for me. Well, I went and it was like, wow, this is a different kind of environment that I thought. It's not just a bunch of bros going in there and hanging out, you know, being, you know, uh, cavemen and stuff. This feels like an academic Mm environment this feels like a place of accountability the only thing i was disappointed in is that there were only a handful of girls and i my first one was the memorial day one so it was an odd day mm-hmm. you know where a lot of people from different time periods come because they're not all working right but there still weren't that many girls mm-hmm. um and then um and i remember meeting ashley who used to be blonde and now she's not <laughs> And meeting her, and mm-hmm. I think I must have met Cass Garcia, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Hannah was there, mm-hmm. and uh, Hannah was really rough on me, mm-hmm. and uh, and the uh, she and I laugh about that now, uh, and we get along great, but I just I didn't know what to think, but I felt like this place I can tell they know what they're doing, mm. and the way uh, the way uh, Danny Coach Danny brought us up as the newbies and worked with us. And so Danielle worked with me to teach me things with other people and all that. And it's like, I felt like I was an idiot because there's so much that I didn't understand or get. And I was just doing the best I could, but they never made me feel stupid. Mm. And I felt out of sorts because I was definitely older, way older than anybody else there, certainly than the women and the women that were even that were not teenagers they're all upper belts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's only like only one or two. I think Diane mm-hmm. was there. 
and Hannah, they're the only two people that were white belt girls. And every and they were both made me feel like I was an idiot. You know, Diane was two months ahead of me and she was like, you know, part the sky, rainbows. I mean, because she was she felt knowledgeable to me. It's like, if she I said, How long have you been doing this? She goes, two months. And I was like, Well, I bow to you two months. Um, but the fact that she seemed so knowledgeable at only two months and she was using phrases that they were using, and she was showing me things that that I was tenuously grasping hold of the seven steps to whatever, you know, sit up, five step arm bar. Well, five step arm bar came a couple of days later and that blew my mind, Mm. but uh, just doing a sit up sweep and all this. And you don't realize how much there is to learn until you try to bring somebody who's completely uninitiated to basic things. Now I had seen my boys do this and I knew some things about wrestling, but nothing to where, I didn't even understand that when they use the terms passing the guard, pulling guard, things like that, sweep, I really didn't get what those were. And so they didn't explain what those were. They just taught me how to do them. Mm-hmm. So it was just rote and it was just like feeling stupid and feeling like, wow, I am really behind the eight ball. And here's these kids that are, you know, schooling me. And, uh, and there's never anything worse than when you're rolling with somebody and you feel like, ah, this 16 year old just kicked my butt, but Hey, you know, it kind of held my own. And at the end I was able to actually make her hurt a little bit. And then, uh, and then you, then you ask her later, how old are you again? 10. <laughs> it's like, Oh, great. I just beat up a 10 year old. Awesome. <laughs> you know, and I didn't really beat her up. It's just, she's got rubber limbs, so she's not going to tap on anything. It's like, wow, she's 10. Wow, I'm, I'm, Wow. <laughs> you know, you, you don't get proud about and so you lose really fast any pride that you get over submitting anybody. And and because I'm old enough to realize that I am not all knowing just because I did one or two things right in white belt, like I think my maturity of age probably helps me not be that flaky wigged out white belt that scares people because I'm very methodical and I'm quiet and I your style, I relate to very well. Mm. I'm not a big shove the knees over, Toriando to the side, lunch. Mm. You know, I'm not like that unless I'm fooling around. I'm like, I want to be technical and I want to go slow through it. And now I'm trying to get myself out of the slow um, for the movements. I need to follow one thing up with another a lot faster. And now I have real taste for it. All this jujitsu I'm watching. Oh my gosh, Tyler. <laughs> I just, I want to go in there and tear into something. <laughs> I want so bad. My son is is teaching a seminar and he's going to base it on a lot of butterfly stuff. Mm. And he's teaching that on Christmas Eve. Do you know how much I'm bummed that he's doing butterfly? Because there's no way I can participate in that with the, with the foot <laughs> yeah. surgery. Where, no where, where at is he? He's doing it at uh, Wolverine up in Rowlett. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Where, where does where does he stay? I, I I thought they were like out of town. He's somewhere. in Austin, but he's coming up. Oh, that's he's right. He's coming okay. up to do this. Will be his third seminar up there, and then they have an open mat at noon after that. Very cool. I recommend it. And uh, Abe's very knowledgeable. He's really good at what he does, and people love his seminars. So, but uh, I don't know how I got onto that. But uh, but long story short, when it comes down to the jujitsu and doing it, when I first came in, uh, I just thought it, it's so methodical and it's the way I learn. Mm. I learn from a very scholarly, you know, I research everything. I want to know how to pull it apart and everything. 
Danny's technique and the way he teaches it is meticulous. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that really got me is, and I was pretty much sure that I was going to sign up the next day. I kind of want to sign up the first day, but I forced myself to hold back a day. Mm -hmm. Um, Sleep it through. I went home. Well, I just want to make sure I'm hearing from the Lord. I don't want to do just what Betsy does impulsively Mm -hmm. because this money is not a game. It's not a joke. And then, um, and I found... I don't remember how I found it because I wasn't on the team page yet. I found one of his coffee with coaches and it was the one titled choose your hard. And it spoke to me so much in the way I talk to people about changing their life and the motivation stuff that I try to do for my patients. It's like, yeah, it's really hard to do jujitsu. It's hard to get smashed all the time. It's, it's hard to not feel discouraged when you keep getting subbed or points on you and you're not, you know, getting better. But, um, you know, it's hard to get up for that, you know, early morning practice or to come after work when you're tired. It's, it's hard to do it all the time. It's hard to make a commitment. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. But it's really hard to be sick. It's really hard to be fat. Choose your heart. It's, it's really hard to not know how to do things physically, to not be able to defend yourself. So which heart are you going to live with? Mm. You're always going to have a heart. It's like, wow. I say in a different way. And I actually linked that. So I was copying and stealing from him like crazy. I was posting on my on my page with my patients different jujitsu things. And I got into mat made and all that stuff. And there's so many things translate. It's like this dude is speaking my language and I don't see this at other gyms. Mm. And so without telling my sons about doing anything the next day, it just went, when the Lord tells me to do something, if I let it go through my head too much, I might not do it, especially when it's financially. But when he just tells me to do something, I've learned how to just shut up and rip off the Band-Aid and do it. Mm. So I signed a year contract instead of six months because I was worried that I'd wing that. Mm. And I signed that, and then they gave me the gi, and it's like, oh, that's cool. And uh, I don't know, and I've never really looked at it. You want to hear a cool thing that happened after that? Mm. This is, And the Lord was like, yeah, you don't need to go anywhere else. This is where I've got you. And it's like, does God care which gem I study at? Well, within, let me see. Coach came up to me. Oh, I was commenting at the end of class um, on a Thursday because Julie and I do the three mornings and then we do the, the evening Thursdays. And uh, and so one Thursday, because I, I want to have at least one class that coach is teaching and it kind of kind of ties everything else that we're doing together for me. Um, and it's a no-gi, which is interesting that I don't really train with him in gi much. I train with him in no-gi. Um, which I think I want to change up a little bit here and there because I, I want to get all of it from him. I want it all. <laughs> but He um, is good. He is really good. But he's got good people tra- that he's trained Very much that so. are there. So I, I'm not dissatisfied with any of my coaches, my trainers. He's just unique. Um, I like that connection with him because mm. I, want, I want him to see what I'm doing right, see what I'm doing wrong. So at some point he can say, well, Betsy, this and that. You know, I... I He's the one that's investing in me. Mm-hmm. You know, the other guys are too, but him in a more specific way because this costs him for me to do this, mm-hmm. right? This costs, he's there for all these classes, not just a couple here and there like mm-hmm. the other trainers are. He's there all the time. And so he's going to be able to really gauge what I'm doing based on other people. Not to say they can't, but there's something about connecting with Danny that I really enjoy. Maybe because I'm older and he's not young enough to be my grandson. 
you know, which some of the coaches are, not all of them. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. But it's a head it's, thing. It's I, I understand what you're saying. It's like a connection you can't really really understand. It's just it's ephemeral. It's 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 something that I don't think I need to quantify, but it is there. So and I like getting the same teaching from three different coaches, mm-hmm. which is what happens because one of them will include something that the other didn't include or have a solution to something because I'm shorter. Danny is a small guy. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes what he's, he'll think of something that accommodates my short legs you know, or, or my T-Rex arms, which the boys have teased me for, for years, um, a little bit better than somebody who's a bigger guy mm-hmm. that just went over it with me or, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the variety and they're not all exactly the same. They all have different likes and dislikes and they're all, you know, black belts. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. Because it gives me some choices in there. Um, but uh, so I, I listened to that and I came back the next day and I started and I was really happy. And I had just said, well, you know, just as a joke, if you ever see any other old ladies that join, you know, give them my phone number. And I got a call from Danny Sr., you know, coach's dad, who was super excited was, and he didn't just text me like he does normally. He had to call me. He's like, somebody just signed up. She's 65 years old. Like, really? It's like, and then since then, Julie and I have seen so many more women join. There's a lot of female white belts. So it's easier to roll. And then I've been able to get somebody from my work come in. And that's Melina. Oh, okay, uh, cool. And, uh, and she's loving it. She's catching on so fast. And, um, I don't know, in a just it's a fun environment, and now I'm getting to know the women who are the more upper belts and stuff more, and and uh, they're mixing up. Some of them will come in the six a.m. once in a while, but going to tournaments is how I'm really getting to know people too. Mm. And Kevin Cooper is nuts, but he's he's so all in. I just love his heart. Mm-hmm. He just wants to do this thing, and so he has actually been a source of me finding out about some tournaments. Mm. He's the mm-hmm. first person that I started learning about the difference between AGF and all that. And I've been to all these tournaments, right? I've been to Naga, I've been to whatever, because my sons did it, but it doesn't internalize until it's you signing up, mm. until it's you looking at the difference in the rule changes or the uniform qualifications, the you trying to get in for the less expensive, or you looking at the, the roster and seeing, oh, who am I going to go against? Mm. You know, the Thursday before, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be against another person who's 20, 30 years younger than me or against another person who's, you know, 15 to 20 pounds heavier than me, you know, it doesn't mean the same thing until it's you. Mm-hmm. And I would stress out at my boys' tournaments because, you know, things change and they call them at different times when they're doing com- competitions. And I'd be so worried that I'm not going to make it to his mat in time to take that picture or whatever. Now it's just like, yeah, if I get you, I get you. <laughs> you know, because I get yeah. how it is now. It's right. different when you start competing. And you still want to get everybody and I still want to go see all my buddies. But that's when you build the camaraderie too. And that's why I, I really want you to compete. I really want other people to compete because it's not all about the gold. It's about seeing other people struggle against people that are not on your team. Mm. It's a whole different feel. It's a whole different feel. And, and whether you medal or not, you are not against your opponent. You're really against yourself. Are you, cause it's really easy to give up, to get tired you know, I love when, when coach calls it the tired tap, the fatigue tap, 
because that's a real thing Mm -hmm. because you can get smashed by somebody who's heavier than you who's kind of brutal and you know when you're going against somebody in tournament i imagine this would be true even with somebody from our own gym a teammate when you're in tournament it's not the same as drilling it's not the same as the free roll at the end, the, the comp roll. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like that because they are going all out. And chances are somebody's going to get injured, you know, maybe not permanently, maybe not to make you lose, maybe not a tap, but you're going to get punched in the nose. My nose has been rebroken twice in tournament. My thumb has been dislocated multiple times. I've had two arm bars. It still hurts. Um, so there are things that happen. But because of my health, because I take care of myself, I heal a lot faster than I've ever healed in my life. Wow. So, but Julie and I give each other bruises and stuff in drilling. Oh, yeah. You guys go at it. We are always knotted uh-huh. up. <laughs> <laughs> but we are always bruised. And uh, But it heals pretty fast. But when you go in tournament, oh, they do some some hard things. I've been kneed in the face. And, um, and they're not meaning to do it. They're just, their adrenaline is, your adrenaline is very different tournament than it is when you're rolling so what what what's like so now that you you have the experience like the very first time you you're parking or maybe not you're you're walking in and what's okay the first how are you feeling okay go back a week before oh so you've signed up and you're excited and you're showing it on facebook look at me here i'm actually like you feel like a phony you feel like you're a poser because uh-huh. you still haven't bought into the fact that you're an athlete. You know, I'm <laughs> okay. playing, I'm playing jujitsu, you know, my boys, they're real jujitsu people. And the other people to the gym, they're actual jujitsu people. I'm playing, you know, that's what I felt like a poser, but it's still really fun mm-hmm. to post. Oh, here's my weight class. Here's my this and that. Nobody does that now. And I would never do that now because who cares? <laughs> but for me, it was like, yes, there's actually Betsy's name there. Betsy is in a category and Betsy's at the- I mean, I, I think you're being too hard on yourself because that's something like that's huge, like something even just proud to say I signed up, which for most people, it's the hardest thing to do. It's to take the first step to put yourself out there. Well, it doesn't hurt that I've been to a bunch of tournaments to watch my sons. And then I knew that they would get a kick out of seeing it. So it was fun. It doesn't become real until... Thursday before tournament and that's when they post the brackets and you can see who your opponent is and then it's like this person's going to try to kill me <laughs> and and it's my responsibility to try to kill this person mm-hmm. and I was only two months in for the first one and I was just like oh oh I know I'm going to get killed because and of course just like what always happens all my opponents are between one and two years in and they always turn blue right after they get their first gold with me. It's like, you're welcome. I just made this easier for you to get your blue belt. <laughs> you know, and it'll be a two-man bracket. And so you're up on the podium and it's just you and somebody else. And you put on, you know, you have to force yourself not to think of that silver as a participation trophy. But the truth is, is um, I'm better every time I go in. Mm. And I know more. And, and what I am, I think I would feel more like that was just like a joke trophy if I didn't give everything I mm. had when I went in there but the the night before when you're really looking at it and I didn't feel this for my first tournament and I didn't feel it as much for my second but my third and fourth I felt dread the night before going in because both of those times I knew I was fighting people that were bigger than me as mm. well as younger than me and I had already learned from the two previous ones ooh, choking being choked in front of people is really awful 
and you have all this yelling going on, it's really hard to isolate who's ever coaching you mm. because you've got all this extra adrenaline and it's, it's kind of terrifying. Um, my first match I did, she could not sub, sub me for anything, but she almost did with the blood choke. She had me, I can't remember what it was now, if it was a guillotine or something. I don't think it was a guillotine, but it was some kind of rear naked something. And, and, and I literally saw the black tunnel closing in and I'd gotten out of a couple of arm bars. They, they call me the escape artist, even from my first time. It's really hard to sub me because I just don't care. And, and I have seen enough jujitsu. I don't know anything. And I, I'm complete, you know, baby, you know, un, un, uh, proved completely, but I'm willing to do whatever I need to with my body. So I'll do these weird twisting things and I'll flip out. Even though I'm old, I don't care. Yeah. That will wreck my shoulder later. Don't care. <laughs> and I'm not thinking about any of those things. And I also have an ability to turn pain off because I've been living with pain my whole life. Mm. So pain doesn't freak me out. Mm -hmm. So they were all worried. They had the, the refs told me that there was a ref meeting before my first tournament down in Austin. And I'm like, Hey, my son lives in Austin and you know, he knows what's going on and my other son's going to come down. So how fun the whole family is going to be competing. And I'm thinking of all the romantic fun family things. And I'm not thinking, wow, I could really get injured because I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So, but the one thing that's a superpower when you're this old and you start out is you don't freak out with pain. Mm. You don't freak out when you're in an uncomfortable situation. Nobody has to teach me that because I have a lifetime of discomfort. I have a lifetime of being in an uncomfortable, hard to get out of situation, metaphorically, physically, financially, and not flipping out. Especially, you know, as I've gotten closer to the Lord, I figured out a lot of things in the last, you know, six years or whatever. So it's kind of hard to freak me out. It's kind of hard to get me scared. So I don't, I don't give up just because they've got me in something. I don't know what to do with it. I'll just start twisting and moving. And I do know how to hear my coach. And my coach was my son, Abe, mm. who is down in Austin. And he's rolling with the pro team down at New Wave. And so he's saying stuff to me. And I, the only difference is because he's not from my gym, he uses a little bit different phrases and he's also not aware of what I've already learned. Mm. So that was a little bit of a disadvantage. Plus I was his mom and he was sitting there worried as much as the refs were about me getting hurt. Apparently, and I was told this by the refs later that they, um, they were very concerned because I was the oldest combatant at 58 in that particular event. And one of the oldest that they had ever had as a white belt. But also as a white belt, I was only two months in and they'd never seen anybody come in and do a tournament with that little experience and certainly not at that age. Right. And so basically they all agreed, we're not going to let her get hurt. Mm. And so, which kind of ticked me off. To be <laughs> with you. It kind of ticked me off. Um, and, uh, and then they, they, when they realized that my coach in my corner was Abe LaMontagne, who they all know down there, um, and they don't want him to get mad, you know, because he trains under John Danaher and he rolls with Gary Tonnen. And, you You're know. saying that's so, so crazy. So he is not notorious. He is not amazing and all this, but they're familiar with him and they don't want somebody associated with that getting ticked off at them because their mom's shoulder got shattered. <laughs> right. 
at her first tournament, it's like, wah, wah, <laughs> right? They don't want to be that guy. Uh-huh. And so AGF was just like, mm, this is not happening. And and Abe is, is a sponsored fighter for them. Mm. So AGF knew him very well for that. Mm-hmm. And so, so fast forward, they've already had this meeting that I don't know about. And I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to go get my Kia. I love it. My whatever on. And I'm coming around and Julie is so fun and she doesn't know what's going on. She's been some stuff with, and we're just having fun. You know, we're, we're we're excited. We've gotten a hotel in Austin and we're like, it's like a vacation. Uh We just don't know what we're in for. (laughs) And I don't even know how the rules go. And I'm like, is this going to be like a round robin or whatever? I don't realize it's only a two person bracket and it's sudden death. I don't know these things. And it was Madeline Moff, uh, Moffitt, who um, she's from Rockstar. She was my first competitor. And uh, and I love her now. She's awesome. She came in and she's like 34 years old or whatever. And she trains all their kids, all their, their you know, kids and so she's like an advanced white belt who is about to turn blue but she needed to do some things with tournament and whatever I guess I don't know but she was so kind and she she walks up with me and I don't know what to think am I supposed to be scared of everybody I'm just like (laughs) oh hi I'm Betsy how are you and I don't realize that they're trying to do the stare down the whole intimidation thing which I realized later is a thing Mm. it's never gonna happen with me I just can't pull that (laughs) off like hi i'm badass betsy i i just can't do that it's it's not my it's not my thing i'm i'm gonna go up there and i'm gonna talk to them we're talking about a recipe for something at some point what's in your glass what are you drinking to hydrate it's like so stupid and uh you know but she was really nice and she goes okay this is where we stand she taught me how to go and stand on my little mat number and get in line with her she goes okay they're gonna take us out over here and it's gonna be one and done i'm like what are you talking about, Willis? Is there going to be, like, if I lose, do I fight somebody else for third? And then, you know, whatever. She goes, no, this is a two-man bracket. It's just you and me, babe. I was like, I don't know if I like that. Maybe I do like that. I don't know if I like that. And she goes, get ready. Either like it or not. <laughs> and uh, and I was not prepared for the difference in intensity between a competitor and a drill partner. Mm-hmm. And so she's grabbing me by the... You know, the gi, and, well, actually, it didn't start with the gi. We we did um, we did no gi first. Mm. So she's wanting to take my head and everything. And actually, that was good that I went no gi first. Mm. Because no gi, I felt less scared of. Okay. When you start to learn gi, you start to love gi, especially for older people. We have a pretty good grip. Mm. Older people, maybe it's the arthritis sets in and it gives us an unfair advantage. But it, I've read many times that the older you are, the one advantage is, is that you have a better grip. Mm. And so that really plays to the gi game for older people. And, um, and there's so many things you can do in gi that, you, that aren't available to you in no gi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, collar chokes and things like that. You just, it doesn't exist in no gi. And grabbing the pants, doing, you know, bow and arrow, stuff like that. It's just not the same in no gi as it is in gi. And I've gotten much better at those things. But back then, I didn't know jack about what to do with, with gi. And I had never been to a class with, with uh, Danny outside of my very first class that was gi. And so I didn't know what I was doing. So it terrified me. Because if you don't know how to make it work for you, then there's this plethora of things other people can do to you that can come out of the woodwork. And that's what happened to me. So my first 
match being in Nogi was good for me because it made me not scared when I went up to Nogi. I mean, to go to Gi after that. And how, how, so you, this, this is the first, uh, uh, tournament is two months in so how yes. how soon from signing up do you sign up to the competition for the competition well let me see i was signed up for about three weeks three weeks and you signed up for the competition oh yeah just over a month i was like i'm doing this <laughs> yes. i looked at it from the aspect of this as a writer it. as a writer i know that the first million words that you write stephen king said this in his book on writing but i've heard it other places too and i've seen it happen you're, you, I don't care what good uh, skills you have as a writer. Your first million words are going to be junk. Mm. They're going to be garbage. So get them out of the way. Do a lot of writing. Write, 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 mm. write more, write more. Get it out there so you start to get a flow and you start to get discerning with what you can do. You start to see what works, what doesn't work. But it takes a million words to get to where you can. And so I've been a professional writer. I've written a lot of content. I supported myself on that for a lot of years. Um and so I figured, well, jujitsu is probably a lot like that. You're, you know, I saw people who were in our gym that had been doing this for a year and a half, two years, or they were into their blue belt and they still hadn't gone to competition. And in my 58-year-old woman mind, I'm thinking, well, I don't know how the tournament works. And that's going to play into all this kind of bull that your head is going to think and get stuck on. You're not going to think about your technique. You're going to go into panic mode. So, so I just in my mind of logic and how I learn, and you know, with with grad school, um, I got my the only paper that I wrote that got really marked down was my very first paper. So I started doing more writing of scholastic stuff, academic stuff, and getting, you know, I try to wade into waters that I am unfamiliar with, so I can get familiar and I can mm. see what the pitfalls are before it's critical that I know what I'm doing. So I was like, you know what? Nobody's going to expect anything from a 58-year-old white belt. So I can lose to my heart's content and keep getting video and looking at what I need to work on. And they will push me. People were scared of me back then, rolling with me at the gym because they knew I had an artificial knee. And back then I had a 110-degree bend, which is not much. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't really bend my knee, not even to 90 degrees. And so, and it would hurt. When they Practicing jujitsu. Yeah. And so how many times, just when they're, they're doing a guard pass, mm. they're shoving your shins down. Mm. I'd be like, oh, gosh. And I had to teach myself the hard way to not cry out in pain when that scar is getting ripped, that scar tissue is getting ripped, because that's a technical tap. And, you know, I had Luis Morales and other people come up. It's like, oh, you don't want to do that. And Joel was the first person. Joel's like, ooh, you don't want to cry out in anything because they'll just tap you right there. That'll be a technical tap. I'm like, Okay. To hear me speak no evil, you know, monkey sitting there. And so I trained myself to not cry out when I felt pain from that. And, uh, just you know, I had a tournament coming up, so that's incentive for me. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I have it, I know, like, if you're giving me a book to write, I have no deadline, it's going to take me forever to write it. But when you're giving me a 5,000-word essay that I have to do for money and it's due by this, I'm going to move hell and high water to get that done. So deadlines work for me. You know, gold dates work for me. Things I have to accomplish work for me. They force me. Having people over to my house makes me clean it. Mm-hmm. You know, things that I have to meet, they help me get motivated. So I know how I am. So I figured it's like, okay, this may not be a smart thing for me to do, but what's the worst that can happen? I'm not going to be embarrassed. They can smash me and 
what belt, what joy will I get? Oh, I beat somebody who is 30 years older than me. Big deal. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody who's two months in, you know, so so I figured I might as well use up all of my white belt cards, my old lady white belt cards, and learn stuff and mm-hmm. gain so that by the time I should know more, I will know more. Mm-hmm. And I won't be freaked out by the tournament process. Mm, that would be out of the way. And that's what I've done. Mm. I, I honestly... Now I'm sufficiently scared about my tournament without being terrified. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm scared enough to try to be ready for it, but I'm not like incapacitated when I get there. And that adrenaline does flow and there's not much you can do about it. When you're there, you just you just breathe. Like Danny says, you know, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. And that's so much truth. You get used to doing that in training. When you can incorporate that, automatically without thinking about mm. it in tournament it really helps mm. it, it's amazing it helps it keeps your energy up it keeps you from panicking it keeps your head straight it keeps you cool and calm in your mind and if you can just slow everything down i literally when i'm in a in a chokehold <laughs> it goes slow motion just like you see in a movie and i start seeing that black circle coming around my tunnel vision and i can hear my son in the background saying mom work your hands and I was like, okay. And then he tells me the next thing to do and I'm doing it. And I get out. I feel daylight. Like somehow, I don't know why I call it daylight, but I feel daylight at the back of my neck. And so I just turn out and I do a move that I didn't learn to do till later. But it became natural because I could think through it. Mm. And I felt it and I got out of it. And nobody could believe it. They thought I was down. But all I kept thinking is, I do know one thing I read in the regulations just the night before. If I get, if I get choked out, if I pass out, I will be disqualified for anything after that. So I won't be able to compete in the next division and she'll automatically get that. That ain't happening. So I'm not going to get choked out. And so I was able to pull out of that. Well, she ended up, um, she ended up not being able to submit me at all. And she kept doing arm bars and things. And, but you know, she had like eight points on me. And so she won. Right. So I was feeling pretty good. Didn't get subbed. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then we came to her again in Guy later and now she's learned a move the night before that I didn't have any clue that it existed. And, and I'm on top of her and then she's doing this stuff up by my collar. I'm like, we keep doing that, you know, and you know, whatever. And before I know it, I'm going, and I, I realize she has, she has done what is called a cross collar choke, which you I'm sure know what that is, but I didn't know two months in and it's, you know, you've got the knuckles touching each other at the back of the gi and, and she's choking me with her wrists, and there is no getting, I can't even find her hands to rip them off. And Abe knew that she had me right then, and so I was just like, mm, I'm tapping, because I felt her crushing my mm-hmm. my, uh, my larynx. Yeah. And it's like, Ugh, I'm a singer, you know, I know those downfalls, and I, I'm not going to get choked and injured at the same time. So I, I was smart enough to, to tap on that soon, but the problem is, is when I had been in the nogi, and I was mad. I'm still to this day, I, I believe that he didn't need to do it. I understand why. And I've been apologized to by the ref, but he did a technical tap. Mm. She had me in supposedly a Kimura behind me. And my son was sitting there with the beanbag in his hand about to throw it because he was worried I wasn't going to know to tap. <laughs> and so she had my arm up behind me, but I felt the bend in my elbow and there wasn't any pressure on my shoulder. And if it would have been painful, I know I don't want to wreck my shoulder so I would have tapped mm-hmm. but she didn't have it 
she was bending me like this, mm. not like this. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, but from Abe's perspective, he was getting worried. And so the rush had had this meeting. Mm -hmm. And so he went down and I heard him, he, he leaned down and he goes, yeah, right by my face. And I went, Doug, got it. <laughs> and I got up and I was ticked. Yeah, I bet. I was ticked because I'd gotten out of everything and I only had like less than a minute left. And I wanted to at least not get submitted. And uh, and it wasn't painful. It wasn't hurting. No, you. and I had gotten points on her pulling her down. Mm. You know, uh, uh, later I got points later, but I I had no points. It's like that's fine. I just don't want to get subbed. And I still looked at that as a victory. I didn't get subbed. That mm -hmm. wasn't a sub. That mm. was you guys were scared because I was old. Yeah, yeah. that was ageism on display. Uh -huh. That was your fear tap, not mine. And uh, so like I'm old enough to recognize pain. You guys don't even know I have an artificial knee. I know what pushing myself is. I know what, what works and what doesn't work. And uh, that was, I had gotten better bend in my knee then, but not, not completely, but enough to know that that really hurts. And my knee was sore and it was swollen already wow. from what we were doing there. It's like, I don't care. I don't even think about it when we're rolling. Now I don't even notice it. What? Oh, that's right. I have an artificial knee. It's a big deal. <laughs> I only notice it when I'm trying to frame in. I'm trying to sneak my knee into something. Okay. Well, if I'm on that one, it's hard to do it. Okay. You know, especially when you're going against women that have boobs and mm -hmm. there's a lot less space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to go in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, or somebody is heavy. Right. Like these bigger people, it's hard to get my knee in there. Sometimes I've taken my hand and I'll just pull my knee and I shove it in there. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to do that without thinking about it because I've already got my elbows down, right? Because I'm trying to avoid an arm bar or something. Yeah. You so want those underhooks. I've you don't found, lose them. Yeah. I've found all of these little ways that I accommodate it without even thinking about it. So now the artificial knee kind of isn't even an issue. Wow. You know, it's so crazy because, you know, you talked earlier about the lingo even yeah. like, I mean, I'm, I'm still like so naive and I'm still learning so much, even lingo yeah. up to this day. It's like over like a year and a half now. Um, and so you're going to these and trying to these uh, competitions and then getting instructions from your son who doesn't even train no. in the same gym, who yeah. probably has a little bit different. So that's just so crazy in like in a good way, inspiring. Like I know a lot of people like are uh, maybe concerned and I totally get that. I mean, to some level I am concerned too, but I, but I also know that I don't, live in your body like yeah. um like you know like who who am i for example to or or anyone like to uh tell anyone give anybody limitations i guess you know because yeah. even me like i mean i i trained and i rolled until uh january or fe february i think yeah. it was um and i rolled rolled like <laughs> Like, Meanwhile, you were pregnant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think my husband didn't know I rolled for that long, or my doctor. And then later, I would go once I started showing, I, I, and then I would just watch. But you know, I you know it talks about like limitations, and I looked up stuff online about rolling while pregnant. Mm -hmm. It was really nothing. Right. Um, it's like, and but everything you read was like, listen to your doctor, probably, and everything kind of aided more on like, don't do it because. Right. And so, I mean, well, they don't want to get in trouble by being the one that told you, go ahead. Right. <laughs> yeah, fair Something enough. Something bad happened. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. You know, and of course, you know, when I was pregnant, I, I was, I was careful and, and, you know, talk about a good culture. I had great training partners, 
even the guys. You know, oh, they're like, so great. Yeah, you know, so careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so when when you say like everybody telling you, a lot of people being concerned or telling you. Well, I was I was the the new kid in the kickball field, and nobody would pick me for their team. So drilling was stressful for me. Mm. When not just drilling, I mean drilling. You grab somebody, you start doing it, or you get in trouble, right? So then they do the demonstrations after the basic drill, mm-hmm. and then they do the king of the mat. You know, they show you all the moves, and then you have the free rolling. Well, free rolling, he wants you to roll with somebody new every time. It was so stressful for me because nobody wanted to go with the old lady. Mm. They're worried that they, they're going to hurt me. They're, they can't go a whole hog. I don't know what I'm doing. They're nervous because I'm a brand-new white belt. What am I going to do, this freaky, flaky thing that's going to hurt them or whatever? Um and I did come out being kind of aggressive early on, not like crazy aggressive, but it's just like, I don't have time to lose. I'm, I'm going to try this. Like I'm here to right? learn. And that, so in that first three weeks before I, you know, first four weeks or whatever, before I started thinking about, and I thought, well, I'm never going to compete. I started realizing my knee's actually not that big of a deal. And every time it hurts and somebody rips a scar, it swells and I go home and I may or may not put ice on it. It's always better by the next day. So I guess I don't care. So then it was just like, well, it's not a big deal. And I learned within three, four weeks that I went from a 110 degree bend to better than a 90 degree bend. Wow. It's like, this is huge. This is a big <laughs> deal. So it's like, I'm just going to keep going. It's like, maybe I can compete. And I was telling Julie, Julie, mm-hmm. what do you think? Do you think I can compete? Well, I'm not going to compete. I was like, I'm thinking I might want to compete. Will you do it? I'm not going to do it. I'll come and support you, Betsy, but I'm not doing it yet. It was like, well, I want to get this out of the way. I don't, I just wow. don't believe I'm going to be, I was like, I start. I loved it immediately. I just got so hooked, so addicted right away. You know what the freedom that I felt hmm. of feeling like an athlete of, it was like all of, I keep hearing the terms, you're never gonna, you can't do this. Or me saying, I can't walk farther than X, Y, and Z with mm. my dog. I can't do this. And, and all these times, me falling down the stairs, busting myself up and doing stupid things, always being the klutz. Because, you know, I told you I have nerve damage in that knee. So sometimes when it raises up, um, I don't always realize that it's not as high as I told it to go. And it feels like it's up high. So I'll catch my toe on the stair or whatever. I can't even tell you how many times I've fallen and hurt myself because of that. You know that doesn't happen now to learning jujitsu. Really? It's wow. I don't know if the nerves regenerated or what, but I've had a whole nother surgery since that that original nerve damage. And the surgery made it worse. But since I've been doing jujitsu, I don't know. Wow. I just have such a better awareness and consciousness of my body. Wow. And I have muscles that are starting to grow and, and re kind of align differently. So I can tell. So here I have. I've been out of jujitsu now since, you know, the first week of December, and I'm already feeling the effects mm. of not being active, mm-hmm. and I don't like it. So you know what I'm going to do mm. today? What? What is that? Oh, I'm going to go back and do all the calisthenics that we do for jujitsu. I'm going to do them whatever versions I need to. You know, so I'm going to do my crunches. I'm going to do my girls. Mm-hmm. you know, push-ups. I was, because I don't want to lose that ground. I, and yeah. I think my arms were really gaining the best. My arms went, when I lost the weight and I cut my clothes down to accommodate, you know, because I had all the skin, you know, on my arms from losing the weight and they're so skinny. And so I cut them down to the right size. But now I've gained so much muscle on my arms. 
that my sleeves are getting too small again. Mm. So I actually had to change a couple of my tops back and I saved the scraps for a little bit of time. I, I have this thing where I think it'll be really fun to show my clients. Look at this pile of stuff I cut off my clothes after I lost weight. And I wish I had saved it all. So I actually had some of these. So I've gone back and gusseted back pieces into shirts that I had gotten smaller just so I can wear them, actually, because I'm developing actual muscle. And I don't have near the skin hang-me-down. You know, the, the wave's so mm -hmm. nice that, that you wave twice. Mm -hmm. And you get that hang-me-down from losing 100 pounds. And being old, and it doesn't want to snap back. Well, between... I think my metabolism is healing even beyond what I did, what I thought was acceptable, because I noticed that my collagen elasticin is working better in my body now. Mm. And I, I'm actually not even following the plan that much. I'm just doing maintenance. But my collagen elasticin is improving, and my aging is reversing in the skin that was stretched. Mm. I, I notice it in my arms completely. So I still have some of the wiggly stuff there, but it's nothing like what it was. I mean, nothing like it was. Part of it is because it's filling up with muscle. And I haven't lifted weights in months. Only bodies. Only bodies. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is it's just the best kind of combination. It's just a different kind of weightlifting and, and lifting myself, but also doing the exercises mm -hmm. and uh, forcing myself to do that little bit of, you know, cardio But, you know, I don't know, the push-ups, I've never been able to do push-ups in my life, never. Nothing with the upper body. Now I'm crushing them. I'm doing easily 20, 30, 40 push-ups at a time. I'm not doing them as fast as everybody in class. So to their 20, I'm probably doing 16. You're doing that. But I, I did, but I heard Coach say in the very beginning, he said, I'd rather you do three to five good ones than to do, you know, a whole bunch of bad ones. So you guys that are new or struggling, just do them at your pace, but do good ones. So my first one, when I decided I was going to just do good ones, I did three. Mm -hmm. And then I just couldn't go anymore. And now I'm doing easily 18. And I'm, I'm actually developing, this sounds stupid, and I said this to, to coach, it made him laugh. I actually have pectoral muscles now that I can move independently. What? <laughs> Because I'm a woman, you don't see that. But if I... Put something around me where you can just see the top without showing anything without a bra. Yeah, I can I can move those things like that is so wild. That is crazy. It is so weird. And uh and the the ability and now I have a 58 degree bend in my knee. I checked it the other day. That is that is and, and you didn't even expect that. Oh no, that was that's all bonus. And it doesn't even hurt now. So I'm thinking I think I can even go farther than that. I'm just gonna keep going and let it go. So I don't even, I don't know, I don't even think of that as a handicap. The only thing that's annoying is in the framing, it's hard to sneak that mm -hmm. in. It's hard to sneak the knee in. So I've learned to adapt to do it on the other side or have other things that I do. Mm -hmm. Like I frame up with my hand and I, or I use my hand to kind of force the knee in or something. And I'm doing it unconsciously. It's just becoming the way I do it. So there are certain moves I make that my opponents are starting to get used to and drill. Like, oh, that's the Betsy something move, you know. <laughs> and uh, they don't expect it and I'll tell you a funny story um in one of my tournaments you can tell that the girl that was going against me you know when it's the Thursday before they stalk you on Instagram before they find you and what I didn't know until that particular tournament maybe my third tournament um what I did not know didn't realize is that 
a lot of the stuff I'm putting on Facebook, and I kind of didn't do a lot with Instagram, even though I know that's where all the BJJ people do stuff, is they communicate on Instagram. And, uh, and so I kind of have a neglected, you know, a benevolent neglect that I treat my Instagram account for. I use it mostly just to see my son's jujitsu stuff, mm. right? And, uh, and I share it back to Facebook because I, I didn't really feel like I had much of an Instagram following. Although now with jujitsu, oh my gosh, I have people that come to jujitsu to meet me because they've heard about me. Really? And they come and they get pictures taken with me. I kid you not. Uh, Julie and I, the first one, when people started realizing how old I was and I was coming down there, it's like, how long have you been on the mat? And now I'm starting to get self-conscious. That's when I started getting mm. nervous. In mm. like two months, they're like, oh my God. And then they'll bring a You're friend like, over and they're like, tell them how long you've been a white belt. A year and a half. Have you ever done a tournament? Well, no, I'm not going to be ready for another couple of months. And they're like, tell them how old you are. I'm 58. I'm looking side to side as I'm starting to get nervous now. It's like, tell them how long you've been doing jujitsu. The fact that you're white belt is amazing, but tell them how long. You're only a two-month white belt. And I don't even get to answer it. And they're like, oh, my God. It's like, and they go get other people. Julie and I stopped counting people, making me an odyssey <laughs> like after 45 people. And I'm not kidding. They take pictures of you. And then when I get up from the mat, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, there will be people I've never met up there, and there's a million phones up there. They've just, so I don't know how many times I'm on there, and they don't know my name or anything, so I'm not getting tagged. But there's a lot of me out there on Instagram getting smashed. <laughs> getting smashed? <laughs> and and when, I, when I get up, you know that it's weird when you get up out of something and you just don't give in to the submissions. I'm very hard to submit, and I'm proud of that. I am proud of that. Um, they have to really hurt me to submit me, unfortunately, but I can take that too. And refs have stopped coddling me now. Mm, um, they know you now. They know me <laughs> and they, or they hear about me ahead. And so they're just like, okay, this is going to happen. But do you know how often I go over to, to shake the hand of the opposing coach and they just put their arms out and they give me a big hug or something. It's just, it's becoming common. And so I have I people coming over afterward and taking pictures with me. So I've got random people that I still don't know. And I, my following for Instagram just went bang zoom after my first tournament. That's crazy. Yeah. I had somebody come to my second tournament who saw me in my first tournament and came to the tournament to support their teammates and then found me when they saw me on the roster and then wanted to take pictures. And I got a little girl named Carrie who was following me. She has gone to my son's, uh, my son's seminars, and she drives all over, and she's becoming really good. This little girl that's getting all these golds, but now she's gone to things and taken pictures with me, and that was the first time that happened was with her. Just that's just funny to me. That's awesome. So, and I told Coach, I said, someday people will want to do that because I'm so darn good, <laughs> yeah. not because I'm old. Did you try any kind of other program, like uh, programs or sports? Never, never could or... run, never could do anything. It's terrible at everything. Okay. Just n never had any athleticism, but always felt like I was going to die after five minutes trying to run. Mm -hmm. Like I was literally going to have a stroke. Um, never had cardio, never had anything. Always been too heavy. Even back when I was like 180 or whatever, just couldn't do anything. Couldn't even walk more than a half a mile and that would be like a big deal and now i'm walking with my dog three to five you know and and now i'm having to be careful with her because she's just turned 10 but she's pretty spry you know all our saturday mornings are hiking and i would post that because that's how i trained before a tournament 
you know, because usually if you're in a tournament that's a two-day, you don't really do anything till the second day, so that's Sunday. And so Saturday morning, part of me getting my head straight is I go on a particularly hard one where I do the, where it's a walking hike typically, but I will pick really hard terrain and I'll try to run uphill and things and get my hit because I know about the cortisol now and I do that with her. Man, she just keeps after it. So it's, I think it's keeping my dog. My dog looks like a really old dog, but she is very spry. She goes everywhere. She runs up and down the stairs. She, How old is she? She's 10. She's 10. Okay. Yeah. So, but she's active. Yeah, I'll have her for a little while longer. She's good. That's awesome. That's well. I think it's it's all it's all crazy good. Like such good inspiration, and I think the biggest thing it's like how you continue to push yourself and not look for reasons to quit. More so, it sounds to me like you, you know you, you're always looking for something to push yourself. At least now, that's what it. That's you know I I have said to some people I'm just tired of being told by other people and especially myself that I'll never be able to, or this is all I can do. Mm. The limits, I think they're really self-imposed. Um, and other people make that assumption that you'll never do that because of that age or because of that illness or whatever. And they all, oh, it's really too bad that you've got that artificial knee. You'll never be able to do any kind of whatever. It's like, yeah, I know it sucks, doesn't it? And it's like, and so I went into jujitsu just this year thinking, okay, well, it'll, it'll mm. give me the motivation to work hard. Mm-hmm. And I know that we're all sweaty and we're all working really hard and we're breathing hard. Julie and I, in the first, we'd work each other so hard in the beginning. We don't, we don't even remember, you know, to hear when they're doing the water breaks and stuff. We're still like, <laughs> in the zone. And uh, and so and so when we hear the coach or whoever's teaching that day saying, "Hey, you got one minute. Put your ponytail back in, tie your gi, and get back on the mat." It's like we never lost. <laughs> we, we never left. And so they give us grace, I noticed, because when we finally, it's like, oh, I'm really thirsty, and it's halfway through the next one, we just go and get our drink, because we realize we missed the whole first water break or two, everything, and they never give us a hard time, because they laugh at us. There's so many times at the end of the class, and we'll still be down there, grrr, and have somebody come over, hey, we're lining up. It's like, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I have to get up. Yeah. Got no time to go get a drink or make our hair pretty, and we got jujitsu hair on the line, and you know. It's like it is what it is. Yeah. But we just want to solve the problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just neither one of us have been athletes before and we've both had she's she's had her she's got quite a story too. She's yeah. come back from having cancer. Oh. Um, so she's had she's got quite a story. So she and I we kind of have this innate ability to get each other mm-hmm. and we have a little bit different personality. She's definitely the yin to my yang. Um, she's very funny and goofy and silly and, and I love her for that. She makes me laugh so hard and I seem very serious to her. So she bleeds onto me. And <laughs> she's I, like, I need some of that seriousness. And, and, and she and I can get into some really deep conversations mm-hmm. about the Lord and things. And it's, it's a really nice friendship. You know, she's a really special person and, uh, I'm glad that I, can know her well enough. We've known each other six months, but we feel like we've known each other for years and years. And we do holidays together and, you know, our kids, you know, know us and, you know, my, my boys love her and they're so happy that she's in my life. And, uh, you know, I tell her, I, I always hope that I'm doing as much for her in her life as she's doing for me. Oh. And it's, 
it's it's been really special that the Lord brought us to each other through freaking jujitsu. And we, yeah. we both went in there crazy, didn't try any other place, didn't look up any cheaper place or closer place or whatever. She got it because it was closest to her, but that was it. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and we both have sons who compete and really love it. So cool. Yeah. That isn't that just the perfect storm. It's been a, a really good all encompassing kind of thing. You know, I love Jesus more than I love jujitsu, but I'd love to talk about both. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do them together. And it's really fun that there are quite a few people in our gym that will have that conversation with mm-hmm. me, including coach to some degree. So mm-hmm. it's, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know what? The, the best thing I can say, the culmination of, I, I think I have the best life ever. I'm the happiest I've ever been, but it's because I get to be authentic. Mm. And I don't have to hide anything. And if I am hiding something, it's something that the Lord will reveal to me. And I'll get to uncover that too. So there's always more later. Mm. There's always more to go. Mm. So that's the hope. You never reach the pinnacle. Of it. And I'll have my valleys too. And I've had one recently. And, you know, but it's really all in your perspective. If you really, if you, if you count your blessings before your hardships, then there's no end of the blessings. And the hardships are temporary. Mm. valleys are are situational but they are a way to to see the sunrise they're a way to see when you get up to that height again and you prepare for that dive down because you've got the joy of that being at the top of the mountain still with you and you can carry that with you into the valley and it reminds you that this valley is temporary mm. this too shall pass mm-hmm. 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 so uh and to wrap it up um I found that a lot of people define happiness in their own ways. So you can look it up in the dictionary, but then people will say, well, for me, this is happiness. So I want to know in Betsy's life, what is your version of happiness? That's pretty easy. Feeling like I'm in God's perfect will. I believe I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and the things that coming up that I'm going to be doing. I will be doing them because it's God's problem. Mm. He cares about what I'm going to do more than I even care. And he's got the resources and I'm not going to be limited. So right now I can rest even without a specific job to go to every day, healing from something, not being able to do jujitsu. I'm right where he wants me. Mm. And so he's preparing me for the next stage, this new chapter. And I, I can be excited about it rather than, frustrated or or whatever it's really that happiness is always knowing that he's always got my back and so I can put fear away I can put worry away to me what's better than that Mm -hmm. you know having a lot of stuff having a job that you may or may not love having you know all these things that they're all temporary Mm -hmm. but knowing that you're where you're supposed to be you're becoming the person that you're supposed to be you're learning you're growing and you're able to fix things or deal with things or learn from things when challenges come up. I don't know what could be better. Mm. I don't know what else you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much for, for your time, especially for being here. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I did.